Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 John chapter 2, the book of 1 John chapter 2. We continue our study through the New Testament. Now, time-wise, remember, we're about 90 AD here. Uh, old man John, brother John, remember last week in our study, he gives us an invitation to enter his tiny bubble. Now, if you're listening for the first time, you know, sometimes these new listeners are like, well, what do you mean bubbles? Where do you mean, you know, the, the young theologians, uh, you know, where do you get the doctrine of bubbles? Where do you get the doctrine of dominoes? Well, go back to our study from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and then listen all the way to 1 John chapter 2 and you'll understand a whole lot more about the dominoes, about the, the bubbles. So it's very important to have this understanding of like when Paul, when he has his uh, outreach, his, his ministry to the people, to saints, but then there's a smaller the, the, uh, 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 for ministry leaders, but then there's the next tier, which which is a whole lot smaller, which is uh, 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 pastors, the next generation of leadership. And that's where like Timothy was, Titus was. But beautiful brother John, old man John, he also has his tiny bubble. And so last week in chapter one, he invites us into his tiny bubble. And so we begin our study here in 1 John chapter two. And he says this in verse one, my little children, he says, now right off the bat, Right off the bat, something I want to say to my younger brothers and sisters in Christ, particularly those of the millennial and Z generation. Now, I've had chats with people, if you're listening and that's you, millennial and Z generation, I've had chats with people of your generation and there's something that I've noticed and no offense, but everybody is offended and easily triggered at a whole lot of nothing. Now, understand, if that's you, if you're in millennial and Z generation, I love you. But also understand that there are people who are your senior in Christ, be it another brother, another sister, a ministry leader, an overseer, elder, pastor. Now, when you understand formula and you're in a fellowship with the right formula, you also know that those who are your senior they have your best interests at heart. And so, you know, I've had these conversations with the younger generations. Oh, you know, don't refer to me as a little child, a little child. It's like, well, wait a second. You know, adults don't make that argument. But it's very important if that's you, if you're in a younger generation, you know, millennial and Z generation. Now, mostly among the Z generation, you have to let that go. Don't be so easily offended. You know, it's one of the signs of the last days. When you read Matthew 24, one of the signs of the last days is that everybody's going to be offended. And you look around and what do you see? Everybody's offended. So don't put yourself in that category. Remove yourself from that category. And un that's why it's so important for you. And I love you, my younger brother, my younger sister. I love you. But it's very important for you to be in a fellowship where the formula is right. Because there are people who are your senior in Christ, but when they speak certain things, they, they genuinely, they have your best interests at heart because you're part of the body and the body is one, one body, many parts, but the formula in the fellowship has to be right. It must be right. 
And so if you're listening for the first time and you're like, well, what is he talking about formula? You know, where do you get the, where do you get the doctrine of formula? Where do you get the doctrine of dominoes? Where do you get the doctrine of bubbles? Go back to first Corinthians chapter one and listen to all those studies, all those studies and get yourself caught up to first John chapter two. And you're going to understand a whole lot more, but you know, what's happening well, in these last days, it's very interesting to see what's happening in fellowships in these last days. And then, you know, kind of like cause and effect for every action. There's the reaction. But it breaks my heart so much because a lot of churches these days have built walls between the older generation and the younger generation. And among the old is where wisdom can be found. Men and women in Christ who've been walking with the Lord for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, and even longer. And so what happens in fellowships, because these walls are built up, the young people stay with the young people and the old people stay with the old people. And do you see what's happening? The wisdom doesn't pour from the old to the young. It's sad. You hear us give these urgings, strong urgings, where if you're in a fellowship that doesn't have the right formula and we're very firm you have to leave but at the same time too you know if you're in a fellowship where the formula is right there's also the strong urging you cannot leave stay there very important and these things are going to be even of greater importance as we get further in the events of the last days where the body has to take care of the body one body with many parts, just like we see in the book of Acts. Exactly like we see in the book of Acts. And, you know, it's very interesting what we see happening in churches today because you have pastors in these last days. They say, well, that was for 2,000 years ago. The gifts and the moving and the power of the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for this dispensation. You know what, it, you know what those pastors are admitting to you? If, you, if, you're in a pa if you're in a fellowship where the pastor says that about the power and moving and gifts of the Holy Spirit, as we see in the book of Acts, you know what those pastors are revealing to you? They're revealing their own disqualification. Because the Bible says that in the last days, there will be dreams and visions and, 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 and prophecy. These are things that the Lord is going to get. He will pour out in the last days. And then you have pastors saying, well, you know, that was for 2,000 years ago. They're, they're admitting, they're admitting that they don't have it. They're admitting their own disqualifications, you see? And so find the fellowship where the formula is right. And when you find that, pray too. I mean, pray for that for sure. And when you find that, you cannot leave. Very dangerous times that we're in. Perilous times. Perilous, perilous, perilous times. And that's an understatement. I know the Bible says perilous times, but wow, I mean, Jesus, our Lord, he says that it's going to be unlike anything the world has ever experienced. That's how, that's how perilous it's going to get. Now, you read the history books, there's been some severe moments of peril, and Jesus, our Lord, says it's going to be worse than that. You see? And it might seem like no big deal today. You know, where, you know, like, well, you know, I go to church on Sunday. I do my, you know, every now and then I'll go to Bible study and this and that. It might seem like it's no big deal. But it's a very big deal. It's a huge deal. Because these fellowships where the formula is right, 
all around where, you know, uh, the formula is right in you. The formula is right in the congregation, always accounting for babies. The formula is right in the overseers and the pastors. You know what's going to happen in these churches? These churches are going to be safe havens in the last days. It's going to be where still waters and green pastures are found. It's going to be super safe when the world is falling apart. These places are going to be refuge, a place of refuge only for the remnant. And so you hear us say these things and you might be listening like, well, okay, you know, here's just, you know, another Bible study. It's no big deal. And, you know, there's this and that. Well, listen, these are things that are going to be ultra important in the last days. And these fellowships where the formula is right. They're already safe havens. I mean, they're going to be safe havens, but they're already safe havens. But sometimes it's not realized until the fire comes. And the fire's coming for sure. The fire is coming. The fire's already here, but it's only going to intensify. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. You see, if church is a social club, where you see, you know, people build up, build these walls between the old and the young. And it's just a social club where it's like in high school, you know, where you're in high school, you have the nerds over here and the popular people over here and the, you know, the everybody in between the geeks over here. It's like the cafeteria, you know, nerds and everything's segregated. And you walk in church and it's like, wow, it's just the same. It's just the same. You got the nerds over here. You got the popular people over here. You got the old people over here. You got the, you know, women over here, the men over here. And it's just like, wow, it's like a, like a social club. This is just like, just like a cafeteria, high school cafeteria. But when you read the Bible, no, we're one, one body with many parts. And when the formula is right in fellowship, you won't see these walls built up. You won't see these, you know, these, these, these walls of segregation between different classes of people. No, you'll see chubby people, skinny people, you know, black people, white people, and every color in between. You'll see every tint of people. You'll see, you know, the, the nerds. You'll see popular people. You'll see old people, young people. You'll see everybody. You'll see rich people. You'll see poor people and everybody as one. That's when the fellowship, when, when the formula is right in the fellowship. And when church is a social club, where it looks like a high school cafeteria where you have the nerds over here and the popular people and the men over here and the girls over here, the women, the, you know, the uh, rich people over here, poor people over here. You know what's happening when, search, when, when church is a social club? It's a sign of lukewarm. And not just lukewarm. I mean, it can be a sign of lukewarm, but it can also be a sign of other things. Apostasy. And remember, just like we studied in, in the, the last chapter of the book of Judges, how there's certain doors that need to be closed. I wish they were locked, but they can't be locked. I wish they were closed. And those doors can be open, lukewarm, to, which leads to apostasy, which leads to judgment, which leads to death. And that's what happens when church is a social club, just like we see in the book of Acts. And so if you're one of my younger brothers or sisters in Christ, particularly the millennial generation and even more so the Z generation, one of the signs of the last days is everybody's going to be offended. Don't be in that category. 
You see, you have to let go of pride. And I love you. You have to let go of pride. Don't shun the older brother or older sister who calls you little one because he or she is helping you. And the formula has to be right in the fellowship. Because if the formula is wrong, then, you, then you're going to have somebody say, hey, little one. And it's, it's kind of a derogatory, you know, it's kind of like, you know, well, you're just a little, you know, whippersnapper. You don't know what you're talking about. When, when the form, that's when the formula is wrong. You know, then it's going to be like a, you know, a somewhat derogatory. But when the formula is right, you're going to have somebody, hey, little one, refer to you as little one. And it's going to be beautiful because he or she is helping you. You see? You have to let go of pride. If you're, you know, of any generation, but of Z generation, particularly the Z generation and in millennials too, ultra offended. At li- you know, everything, everything is offensive, but it's one of the signs of the last days. One of many signs of the last days. And for me personally, you know, if I were to go back in time and meet old man John face to face, brother John, writer of the very book that we study today, If I were to meet him face to face, old man, John, and he were to refer to me as little one, you know, I'd probably smile and I'd probably start crying because I see little one as a term of endearment. And so brother John tells us in verse one, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. You see, he wants to help us. Old man, John, beautiful brother, John, he wants to help us. Yeah, your little ones. But I'm telling you so that you may not sin. You see? Now, already, <clears throat> already, there seems to be a disconnect from last week's study in chapter one. Because remember last week in verse 10, where John says, you know, where he said, you know, uh, uh, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. We make the Lord a liar and his word is not in us. Remember, he said that in verse 10 last week. But then here he says that he writes to us for the purpose of not sinning. So which is it? Do we sin or do we not sin? The answer is both. Do we sin or not sin? It's both. You say, wait a second, I don't get it. Well, understand, in the life of a believer, in the life of a believer, there is an evolution to sin where sin becomes weaker and weaker and weaker, and certain sinful things even die. Because what happens is the old vessel has been reckoned dead. The old man, the old woman has been reckoned dead. That's what you and me do. You take the old nature, who you were BC in your BC days before Christ. That guy's dead. That gal's dead. I'm in. If you've reckoned him or her to be dead, that's why we do that. The old nature is what you and me, we reckon to be dead. Remember Jesus says, carry your cross. Don't forget the cross is an instrument of death. We carry our cross, which is an instrument of death. And sometimes we lose sight of that very fact, the instrument of death. I mean, picture a a, a platoon of guys. And, you know, you're going to be killed by firing squad. And, you know, they're like marching you along, you know, poking you in the back with their rifles. But then you turn around and say, hey, let me carry those for you. I mean, they're probably not going to give you their rifles, but I meant a similar concept of like you take that very instrument of death 
and you carry it. And then you get to where they're going to shoot you and then you give them the rifles. And Jesus says, carry your cross. You see, and don't forget our Lord himself. Our Lord himself had help carrying his cross. Don't forget. And that's like the body of Christ. We help one another. I help you, you help me. And together we grow. Together we journey to paradise. You see? And so we carry our cross, but we also reckon the old man to be dead, the old woman to be dead. And this is what happens when we grow and mature in Christ and move on to perfection. But there's always going to be sin that we contend with. You see, we're never going to be sinless because when you're sinless, you're going to be dead. Remember the zero to hundred percent? We come to Jesus at zero percent, but we don't stay at zero percent. You see, we don't come to Jesus by works, lest anyone should boast. No, we come to Jesus at zero percent, but we don't stay at zero percent. We move on to perfection. A hundred percent, you're going to be dead. But we move on to 99.999%. You see? And we grow. And, mature. and that's not a straight shot. It's not zero to 99.9. No, it's zero to three to two to five to four to eight to seven to 12 to 10. It's going to be like up and down. You ever look at like the stock market? You look at the performance of like, you know, the S&P 500 for the last, you know, uh, 20 years. And you look, it's like, wow, it's like, like it, it, it looks like it's a straight shot up. But then when you zoom in and look at like, you know, a five-year period or a year period or a five, a six-month period or a one-month period, no, it's not a straight shot. You're going to see the jagged edges. You're going to see the ups, the downs, the ups and the downs. But then you zoom out and what do you see? You see, wow, there's an aggregate growth. And that's the life of a Christian. You're going to have the ups and the downs. But there's, when you zoom out the whole span of your life, no, there's going to be aggregate growth. If the Lord permits. Remember, we go back to our study from Hebrews chapter 5 and 6. If the Lord permits. And this is where the Calvinists get kind of crazy because they say, well, you see, if the Lord permits. But understand, it's carnality. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. Old Testament, New Testament, the Lord is reactionary. He never changes. You see? And so we reckon the old man dead. We reckon the old woman dead. Desiring to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. And the Lord sees that. Just like it just so happens that we're in the book of Ruth. Picture the eyes of the Lord. When everybody is doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And picture the eyes of the Lord across the land. And picture his long suffering and his grieving. But then all of a sudden, he gazes his eyes upon Naomi. He gazes his eyes upon Ruth. What kind of beauty is this I see? You see? But it's the same for us. In these last days when the Lord has become forgotten, does he gaze his eyes upon you? Does he gaze his eyes upon you and consider himself what kind of beauty is this? You see? Nothing new under the sun. There's always going to be sin that we contend with, that you contend with. But don't forget there is an evolution to sin. And sin can become weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. 
And some sin can even die and be no more. Don't forget, sin can also become stronger and stronger and stronger. We don't go in that direction. We move forward to perfection. You see? And when the formula, if you're in a fellowship where the formula is right, these are things that your pastor is going to teach you about. These are things that the elders are going to teach you about. These are things that the qualified overseers are going to oversee your growth and maturity to make sure that these things are happening in your life. Why? Not because they look down on you and say, hey, little one. No, because they love you. They might say, hey, little one. But it's a term of endearment because they love you. And they're tasked, specifically tasked by the Lord to fulfill that in your life. You see? But just as God doesn't make robots, they can't command it of you. They can teach you. They can pour into you. But you have a choice to make. That's why the Bible says, submit to your pastor. You see, it's not a blanket statement of submit to any pastor. No, the Bible teaches us about the formula of the pastor. You know what to look for. You see, his doctrine is wrong. No, you cannot submit to that guy. That's a freak show. You see. His works are wrong. No, you cannot submit to that guy. He's a freak show. And remember, overseers, the, it, it, under scrutiny is his home. You see? He's always a good teacher. He's a good teacher, but he's on his fifth marriage and his four previous four wives are still alive. He had irreconcilable differences. You cannot submit to that guy. Oh, but he's a good teacher. No, the formula's right. If he can't keep his home in order, listen, he can't do that in the house of God. And if he can't do that in the house of God, he can't do that with you. And if he can't do that with you, you cannot submit. You see? So you say, okay, so, you know, he's a good teacher, but, you know, his wife's a crackhead. You cannot submit. He's a good teacher. His wife's on the up and up, but, you know, his, his sons and daughters, they're sexually active. They're doing their chakras, their crystals, the, the Buddha, the yoga, you know, the Ouija boards, all these things. You cannot submit. Why? Because his home isn't in order. But then you have people like John. You have people like Peter. James, Paul, and they're tasked by the Lord to teach you and pour into you and train you and equip you, you see? And so sometimes we look at, you know, this particular verse, you know, when he, brother John, uh, brother John, old man, John, when he says, I'm writing to you so that you may not sin. And it's like, well, wait a second. Last week, you said that if we say we have no sin, then we make the Lord a liar and his word is not in us. And it's a, it begs the question, so what do we do? Do we sin or do we not sin? And then we remember what brother, what brother Paul says. You know, does that mean we should sin so that grace can abound? He says, no way, exclamation point. Remember our study in Romans? We cannot forget the many, it is also written. And the examples of the Old Testament, which the Bible says, Brother Peter, or Brother Paul tells us, are written for our admonition. You're never going to be sinless. Never. In this life. But we can sin less and less and less and less and less and less as we journey together to paradise. And I don't want to sound fatalistic, but like, well, you're never going to be sinless. You're like, well, what kind of, you know... Come on now. I know we desire to be. But there's a sin of commission. There's a sin of omission. You see how the Lord raises the bar to him who knows what he ought to do. 
and will add to her who knows what she ought to do. And they do not do it to him, to her, it is sin. You see, the Lord raises the bar. And I love that. The more carnal you are, you're not going to like that. And the more carnal I was, I didn't like that. But through growth and maturity, you see, we learn. Remember about discipline and chastisement to those who have been trained by it. Remember our study in Hebrews. And so be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. It's like the jagged edges, the ups and the downs of the S&P 500. You know, you're going to have the ups and the downs, but be of good cheer. It's in those moments where we can grow and mature. And with humble hearts, we come before the Lord and we're clean. You see, and these are things that the faithful shepherds, the faithful overseers will teach you about. And their heart is, okay, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. You got to repent. And you repent and then boom. We're on our way upward, you see. And then the general aggregate of your life, when you zoom out, and when you zoom in and look at like, a day, you might have a day where it's like, oh man, you know, like, I, I wish this never happened. But then you zoom out and it's like, okay, that was like, you know, a valley, a moment of, you know, it wasn't good. But because of repentance, now you zoom out and it's like, boom, you know, that that's done because you've learned your lesson. The problem comes with habitual sin. And a lot of times you have Christians, believers, even pastors they like to make excuses for habitual sin. Well, you know, men will be men. Women will be women. And they make excuses for habitual sin. But you know what Paul says in the Bible? Remember our study in Thess the Thessalonian letters? What Paul says about habitual sin? No, that's leaven. That's what Paul says about uh, habitual sin. It's leaven. And what does, what does the word of God teach us about leaven? It's what the remnant has to separate from. You see, very important. See, churches today are in big trouble. Where are the pastors to teach? Where in the world are the pastors to teach about sin? And you might think like, well, wait, I I'm in habitual sin. You might think like, well, I, I, do my, I do my drugs. I do my alcohol. I do my sex. I do the pornography, the strippers, you know, the, 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 the Buddha, the, the Mary, the Ouija boards. And you might think like, well, my, my goodness, this guy's talking about habitual sin, that it's leaven. Well, understand, when you see habitual sin as an idol, that's what it is. It's pulling you away from the Lord. And what pulls you away from the Lord, that's an idol. Very important to understand. And then you go back to our studies in the Old Testament. Remember the book of Numbers, what happened with idolatry? The book of Judges, what happened with idolatry? What old man Moses said about idolatry in Deuteronomy? You go back to the Old Testament studies. Listen to our studies through Judges. The book of Judges, if you haven't listened already, but if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study through the book of Judges and you'll learn a lot about idolatry and how the Lord sees it. It's not good. And a lot of times Christians like to make excuses and pastors like to make excuses. Well, men will be men. Well, women will be women. And they make excuses for habitual sin. You have to see habitual sin for what it is, it's idolatry. 
pulling you away from the Lord. And I've had these conversations with drug addicts before. You don't understand. You don't understand. They tell me I'm in so much pain. I'm in so much pain. I'm in so much pain. I need a fix. I'm so depressed. I'm so depressed. I need a fix. Well, instead of going to the pusher, go to the Lord. You see? You say, well, it's not so simple. Because I tried that and it doesn't work. Okay, well, that points to other factors. Why doesn't it work? You want to know why? Formula. That's why. Formula. It's got to be right. There are effectuators for God's promises. Very important to understand. There are effectuators for God's promises. And understand, you know, we're always going to contend with sin. But when we say that, also understand, remember, we have to factor in that it is also written. That doesn't mean, you know, we're always going to sin. You know, that doesn't mean that, okay, so that's excuse for me to habitually sin. So I can keep doing my, you know, uh, cooking spoons and, you know, the Buddha and the pornography and the prostitution and all these things. It's like, no, 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 no. Because habitual sin is leaven. And leaven is idolatry. And it's the remnant that has to separate. Very important to understand. And so when you hear us say that we're never going to be sinless or, you know, you and me, we're never going to be sinless. You hear us say that and give this exhortation that, yes, you and me, we're never going to be sinless, but we can sin less and less and less. And you're going to notice something with your own growth and maturity in Christ. You're going to notice something. The things that you start repenting for, and I don't mean to, you know, sound like I'm, you know, laughing or anything. And it, it you know, what you're going to notice is that it's going to change the things that you repent for. Well, when you're a baby Christian, you're going to be repenting for, you know, quite possibly some major issues. But then as you grow and mature, you're going to be repenting for things that like, like you're going to look, you're going to realize like, I can't believe I'm repenting for this because everybody does it. It seems like no big deal. And I can't believe I'm repenting for this. But yet you feel in your own conscience, in your heart of hearts, you feel like, wow, I know it seems so insignificant. I know that everybody does it. I know that pastors are permitting of this. I know that Christians are permitting of this. I know that it happens everywhere. But for me, in my conscience before the Lord, I don't feel clean before the Lord. I don't feel like I'm a sweet aroma unto the Lord. And so you repent. You see? And Lord, forgive me. I didn't know that, you know, this, this term that I use, you know, I don't like how I praise you and I don't like how out of the same mouth that lives to praise you and desires and glorify, desires to glorify you and worship you and out of this same mouth. And, you know, people don't say it's a cuss word and people say that it's fine. People say it's permissible. But in my conscience, I don't like this word on my tongue. And so, Lord, forgive me. I repent, Lord. 
I'm going to reckon the old man dead every single day. And so that word is history. And you got to be careful talking to other Christians too. And it breaks my heart to say that. But in talking to other Christians, they might be like, you're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. But they don't understand. You're such a legalist. They'll say, oh, you know what? I say this word all the time. It's not a cuss word. It's not a big, it's, it's not one of the big cuss words. It's just a, it's just a, a minor term. It's not a cuss word, but in your own conscience, it's like, wow, Lord, I don't want this to be on my tongue. I don't want this. I want the outpouring of my heart to sing praises unto you, Lord. They're not going to get it. You have to be careful. You know, in these last days, you have to be careful with the kind of Christians that you associate with. And it hurts me to say that. And these are things that Brother John is going to teach us about in our study today in chapter 2. But we have to be very careful with the Christians. I mean, we have to be very careful with the world. Absolutely. But we have to be very careful with Christians too. I mean, we're, we're going to learn about this today in this study in chapter 2. It hurts me to say that. But we're not in Kansas anymore. It's not a time to play games. We're not in Kansas anymore. The bridegroom is coming. It's the wise virgin that is ready. It's the wise virgin that is clean. It's the wise virgin that has oil in her lamp. You see? As we grow and mature in Christ, we can sin less and less and less and less. And I've had these conversations with the habitual sinner, be it sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. And it's like, well, wait a second. I, does that mean that I'm living? Does that mean that I'm living? Yes. It, I'm at point blank. Yes. And, you know, I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelers or anything, but yes, let's call it what it is. Yes. But I don't like being leaven. I don't want to be referred to as leaven. Good. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That that you. I mean, it's a bad thing that you're leaven, but it's, it's not a bad thing to acknowledge that, yes, you don't like to be leaven. So what do I do? What do I do? Okay, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. You see? And that's what the pastor does. That's what the overseer does. Gently teaching and equipping you so that you can understand. It's like, wow, I don't want to be leaven. I never heard that leaven was idolatry. And sometimes when I have these conversations, people are like shocked. Like, how come my pastor never told me this? Well, formula. Formula in, in him. The, the, the wrong formula in pastor Poured out into the fellowship. And so you have fellowships with the wrong formula. You see? Very important. What is being poured out of the pastor? It better be good things. It better be holy. It better be training and the equipping in the ways of righteousness. It better be a new way of thinking from the carnal to the spiritual, all in alignment and accordance to the word of God. Everything has to align. And if it doesn't, you got to leave. Very important to understand. And so as we understand that we're never going to be sinless, you say, wait, but I have the habitual sin. Well, let's call it what it is. It's idolatry. But that bothers me. You're calling me an idolater. Let's get you cleaned up. Look, look what Brother James says to the Christians. Brother James says, you guys are adulterers and adulteresses. You see? 
And what did he say? He said, it's not a time to be happy. It's not a time to be joyous. He said, we got to get you cleaned up. What do I say? We got to get you cleaned up. How does that happen? We repent. And that's what you have to do. If you're a habitual sinner, you got to repent. Repent. Get right with the Lord. It's not a time for joy. You see? Just like Brother James says, no, listen, it's not a time for joy. You know how many people would kick Brother James out of the church today in these last days? Oh, we want to be full of joy. The Bible says we're supposed to be full of joy. Yeah, when the formula is right. You see? And pastors, because they have no power, they tell jokes at the pulpit. They try to tell funny stories at the pulpit. Why? Because they want to instill joy. Let me tell you something. When that happens, that is not the joy of the Lord. That's a comedian at the pulpit, you see, who has no business at the pulpit, but that's what he is. It's a comedian at the pulpit. You know, it, they're, they're faking joy. It's the joy of the comedian. But the joy of the Lord, that's different, entirely different. So if you're like, well, you know, I've never heard this before. I, ne I never knew that my pornography, I never knew that my crack, I never knew that my, when I cook spoons, I never knew that my cocaine, I never knew that my, my, my whiskey, I never knew that my Jim Beam, I never knew that that was idols. Well, praise be to the Lord, now you know. Now what do we do? We got to get rid of those idols. You see? We got to get rid of those idols so that we can be clean and pure before the Lord. You see? And praise be to the Lord. You know, I was having this conversation not too long ago. You know, the, the, the messages are too long. The messages are too long. Well, praise be to the Lord. That means instead of going out to the street corner and getting your fix, no, listen to those messages. Nice and long. You see? You'll be preoccupied with the messages instead of preoccupied with the crack and preoccupied with the street corner and preoccupied with the strippers and preoccupied with the pornography. No, listen to the messages. And you'll grow and mature. And the Lord sees. Don't forget, the paraclete is the Holy Spirit. He's the helper. He will help you. He helps us to grow and mature. He helps us in our walk with the Lord. You see? Very important to under. These are things that are of ultra import. They were always of ultra importance, but even more so in these last days because Satan, he knows his time is short. And this last day's battle, it's going to be intense. And it's going to get worse and worse with every passing day. It's going to intensify and intensify with every passing day. And the church will take casualties. The Bible teaches that the Antichrist, he will prevail against the saints. Christians will die. You see? And on top of that, in addition to that, I should say, there's the falling away apostasy. But with proper equipping and training and learning how to fight and actually fighting and applying these truths to our lives, you know what happens? We're equipped. We're ready. You see? Remember, Jesus says, you know, he gives us the example of a guy who's healed in the Lord and praise be to the Lord. 
But then the wording is, is that it's like spiritual vacation where a person, a demon leaves a person. They say like the stronghold of, uh, of, of crack, the stronghold of meth, of pornography, the stronghold of whiskey or whatever it is. And that demon leaves. It's like, wow, praise be to the Lord. But then how the wording is, it's like spiritual vacation. If that person is on spiritual vacation, something's going to happen where that demon, he returns. But he doesn't come back alone. He brings his friends, more demons. And Jesus is the one who tells us that if that guy isn't ready, if that person who's freed is not ready for not one demon that returns, more demons that are worse than him. And Jesus says, if that vessel is not ready for that fight, our Lord tells us the state of that person is going to be worse than he was at the beginning. You see? So what do we do? We train up. We get equipped. How does that happen? The Word of God. We study the Word of God. We apply the Word of God. So we have freedom in Christ. And, you know, people are uh, demons flee people. And praise be to the Lord, people come to Christ. They're believers. You have sex heads that come to Christ. You have crackheads that come to Christ. You have meth heads that come to Christ. You have the Buddha worshipers that come to Christ. And there's freedom in Christ. And they were trained up, were equipped. And when those demons come back, they're going to see, well, I'm not messing with these guys. Remember the demon with Paul? Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Or did the sons of Siva. And the demon says, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who in the world are you guys? You see? And the sons of Siva, they lost that fight. You see? Paul didn't lose that fight. Peter didn't lose that fight. Brother James didn't lose that fight. Brother John didn't lose that fight. These are warriors who are teaching us. These are warriors who are training us. You see? These are things that we have to understand in the last days. Because the last day's battle is going to be crazy intense. And each day more intense than the previous day. And the church will take casualties. You see? The Antichrist will prevail against the saints. It is written. We have to understand. Which is why we say if you're in a fellowship where the formula is wrong, leave. If you're in a fellowship where the formula is right, don't leave. We are in the last days. And so Brother John continues in teaching us, in training us, in equipping us. In as a warrior, old man John, old man warrior, he's teaching us and training us to be warriors. And he says, and if anyone sins, we have, we have an advocate with the, father, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You see, advocate here in the Greek is comforter, advocate, and intercessor with the Father. And that's Jesus, our Lord, our Master commander of the armies of heaven. This isn't a license to sin or a free pass to sin, you know, and some so-called teachers, they say, well, live life how you please because, you know, we have an advocate. That's what they say, these so-called teachers, so-called pastors. Oh, just 
Live life how you please because, listen, if anyone sins, the Bible says that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's what the Bible says. So listen, eat, drink, be merry. That's what these so-called teachers say. And just like the book of Judges, exactly like the book of Judges, everyone today in these last days, the world is the world, Corinth is Corinth, Everyone in the church today doing right in his own eyes. Everyone in the church today doing what is right in her own eyes. You see? Remember what Brother John told us last week in verse 9? Last week, just last week he told us that if we confess our sins, he, the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You see? That's what he told us. But it doesn't end there. He says that our Lord is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see? Clean. Clean. Remember our study in Leviticus? Nothing mangy. Nothing mangy. Nothing mangy in the Old Testament. Today, as new covenant believers in the New Testament, nothing mangy. Nothing mangy. Exactly the same. And people today like to say, well, you know, we have no part in sanctification. We don't have no part in sanctification, they say. And just like the shower, just like the shower, we're not the water, we're not the shampoo, we're not the soap, but we still got to get in. You see? For my young theologian friends, where do you get this doctrine of shower? Where do you get the doctrine of bubbles? Where do you get the doctrine of, uh, of, uh, of uh, uh, dominoes? Go back and listen to our study from 1 Corinthians all the way to 1 John chapter 2, and you'll understand. Just like the shower, we're not the water, we're not the shampoo, we're not the soap, but we have to get in, you see? And this is what Brother John is saying, along with Peter, along with James, along with Paul. Why? They're faithful vessels of the Lord. And they're teaching us and training us and equipping us how to live in a manner that is pleasing to him. And speaking of Jesus in verse 2, Brother John continues, and, and he himself, he says in verse 2, is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation. You know what that is? Atonement. Atonement. How many times do you remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, how many times do you remember hearing that in our study in Leviticus and Numbers, Exodus, Deuteronomy? Exactly like the Bible teaches us. Life is in the blood. I mean, just the Bible says, but you know, when people bleed out today, they have a, a little cut, a big cut. When people bleed out, what happens? They die. A big cut on the arm, big cut on the leg, big cut on the side. And I'm talking a huge cut. Well, if that's not properly cared of, the person's going to bleed out. And if they bleed out, they're going to die. Because life is in the blood. Just like the Bible says, life is in the blood. You bleed out, you're going to die. You see? And because life is in the blood, in the Old Testament, there was atonement through the blood of animals because this was precede. Remember, Old Testament, precede, precede, precede. Before the seed. Life for life. 
Because according to the law, the wages of sin was death. But the law is still in effect today. The wages of sin today is still death. Except today, we are no longer pre-seed. We are no longer before seed because the seed has come. The seed has died. And the seed that died has shed the flesh and is alive. These are things that God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be his name, he put them in motion many, many, many moons ago. Why? Because he loves you. That's why. He loves you. You see? Remember the Bible teaches us God sent his son into the world not, 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 not to condemn the world. But that the world through him would be saved, might be saved, might be saved. The question is, do you believe? You see, do you believe? And if that's you and you do believe, maybe you've never believed before, you're not a believer and you're like, well, wait a second, I never heard it laid out like this before. Well, praise be to the Lord for the here and now. You know why? Because right here, right now, you can commit your life to Jesus Christ. You take that belief of yours and you let it grow. But that's the aftermath of committing your life to Jesus Christ. And if that's you, you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. The very thing that our father in heaven, God, creator of all things, the very thing that he wants me to tell you is to believe in Jesus. But he doesn't make robots. You have a choice to make. But if you do believe, and you're like, well, wait, I've never heard it laid out like this before. Praise be to the Lord. What I want you to do is this. Hit pause right here, right now. Hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that right here, right now. And you commit your life to Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lord. Then you come back to this study, you hit play and you listen. Look at what Brother John says about Jesus, who is atonement for our sin, the propitiation for our sins. He says, and not, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Very interesting. Not for ours only, but also for the whole world, he says. You see, the Calvinists, the Reformed, the Presbyterian, they need to understand their Bible. They need to understand their Bible because according to their doctrine, what they say is that Jesus does not atone for the world. That he atones only for the elect. The ones who are predestined to heaven. Their other group, they're predestined to hell. They have no hope. That's what the Calvinist, Reformed, and Presbyterian teaches. I mean, if you're Calvinist, if you're Reformed, and you're Presbyterian, and you're like, whoa, I never knew that. Well, surprise, now you know. Formula's wrong in that church. Formula's wrong with that pastor. Doctrine is crazy town. So what happens? You have to leave. Straight up, you got to leave. The Calvinists, the Reformed, the Presbyterian today, you know what they're teaching? They're teaching, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Sometimes I talk with Christians and sometimes I talk with the Calvinists, the Reformed, and they're shocked. I never heard that before. I never, I, I, I never knew that before. 
The whole doctrine is crazy town. Calvinist doctrine is crazy town. I mean, if you're in crazy town, don't be surprised when you see crazy. You see? A pastor who says, go ahead and take the mark because you'll be beast, you'll still be safe. Well, that's crazy. That's crazy. Well, surprise, you're in crazy town. What do you, you shouldn't be surprised. I mean, if you and me were to like, you know, get in a car and we're drive to, you know, crazy town, USA. We get into crazy town. We arrive in crazy town. We should not be surprised at all to see straight up crazy, straight up loco everywhere we go in that town. It's like, wow, this is dangerous. I don't like I don't, I don't like this here. You know, I look at you, you look at me. You're like, well, I don't like this either. What do we do? We leave. We jump ship. We leave that town. We get back in the car and boom, we're out. No more crazy town. Crazy town is not safe. How much more with our faith? How much more with our faith? You say, okay, so, you know, Brother John says, you know, that, that the propitiation for our sin is not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So let's go to the universalist camp. And just like the Calvinists, the Reformers, and the Presbyterian, the universalists need to understand the Bible because they say that the entire world is saved. That's what the universalism, modern-day Lutherans, modern-day Lutherans, Episcopals, modern-day Methodists, all universalists, you know, everybody's saved, you know, God is love, God is love. So, you know what? If this is how love is expressed, hey, by all means, you know, God is love. Oh, if this is how love is expressed, oh, by all means, go ahead, you know. They're also in crazy town. So... How are these two chasms reconciled? How are these two chasms reconciled? Because the Calvinist says that Jesus, he only atones for the elect. The Universalist says that Jesus atones for the entire world. How are these two chasms reconciled? I'll tell you how. The Word of God, that's how. You say, wait a second, but they have the word of God too. The Methodists, they have Bibles. The Episcopals, they have Bibles. The Calvinists, the Presbyterian, the Reformed, they have Bibles. The Lutherans have Bibles. Yeah, they do. But it's spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit, spiritually discerned. Are you saying that these guys don't have the Holy Spirit? Are you saying that they don't have the Holy Spirit? That's precisely what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. So how are these two chasms reconciled? If the Calvinist, you say the Calvinist is wrong, you say the Reformed is wrong, you say the Presbyterian is wrong, you say the Lutheran, the Episcopal, you say they're wrong. So how do we reconcile these two belief systems? Well, this is where we give the example of your gift at my door. Remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, your gift at my door. Now the young theologian, well, where do you get the doctrine of the gift at the door? Where do you get the doctrine of dominoes? Where do you get the doctrine of, of, of bubbles? Go back and listen to our study through 1 Corinthians all the way up to 1 John chapter 2, and you'll understand more. But when we say the gift at the door, remember the example we gave not too long ago? You come to my door, you knock at my door, and you have a gift that you want to give me. You have a gift that you want to give me, but I don't answer. Instead, you hear a shout, you know, hey, get out of here, take a walk. 
And so you walk away brokenhearted because the gift you have for me, I reject it. Then you return again the next week. And this time I open the door. But I tell you, hey, leave it at the doorstep. Then you leave. But I don't open the door. I leave your gift there at the doorstep. I've still rejected it. Then the following week, you you return with the gift. And then, you know what? I take the gift. I say, thank you. You leave. And what do I do? I toss it in the garbage. Never having opened it, I just trash it. I've still rejected your in all in all of these instances. I'm still rejecting your gift. Then the next week you return with the gift. And now I'm kind of annoyed. I'm kind of annoyed because okay, now you're starting to bug me. We have a little chat. And now you give me the gift with a smile on your face. And this time I'm a little bit softer to you. I mean, you you annoyed me at first, but you know, I've kind of softened up with you a little bit. And so I take your gift. And we're, we're right there, you know, eye to eye. And this time you see me, my fingers, they grab the little end of the bow. You have a nice little bow. And I have the box in one hand and with my other fingers, you know, I, I take the bow, I pull it and you see it, it's untied. And then I I undo the bow. I tear open the the wrapping, the gift paper. I I tear it open. And then I open the box. And I'm blown away. I'm I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Because what's inside is something so wonderful. Something I've searched for high and low and I was unable to find. And then I look at you and then I fall in love with you. And I cry because I realize I was such a fool to reject you. What we've described here is the gift of salvation. See, the Calvinist says, oh, it's only for us. The universalist says, oh, the whole world has already accepted it. But both are wrong. Brother John is right. Peter is right. James is right. Paul is right. The gift of salvation is for the entire world. It's for the entire world. But just like the example we gave, some reject the gift and some accept the gift. Every person has a choice to make for himself or herself. The Lord doesn't make robots. We have to understand. As far as your choice, As far as your choice, if you're not a believer and you didn't heed my prior call to come to Christ and right here, right now, at this particular, at the end of verse two, now you're starting to believe and you no longer wish to reject God's beautiful, wonderful gift. Hit pause. Hit pause. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ right here, right now, point blank. And then you come back and we listen. You listen. We listen. We grow together. We journey together because you know what? We're going to paradise. That's our destination. We're going to paradise straight up. But there's a specific formula of this particular way. It's narrow. 
But that's where we're going, paradise. And Brother John, in verse 3, he continues. He says, now by this, we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, in verse 4, he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, a whole lot of denominations are going to be pretty mad at me today. But just like the Calvinist, just like the Reformed, just like the Presbyterian, just like the Universalist, and just like the Episcopals and Methodists and Lutherans are all wrong, so too are the Hebrew roots people wrong. Because they read verse 3 and 4 where, you know, in verse 3, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. And the Hebrew roots people, they look at verse 3, they look at verse 4 and they say, okay, now we got to do the law of Moses. Old covenant law. And this is the danger to the baby believer. Because the baby believer is somewhat scared at these verses too. I mean, let's be straight up. If you're a brand new believer, if you became a Christian five minutes ago, I mean, praise be to the Lord. But, you know, with humility, we have to understand, okay, that's baby. Baby, you're a baby. And babies are beautiful. But there's dangers with babies. I mean, you you, you, you take a baby and put them on the side of the road. That baby's in danger. The baby's on the side of the road, but, you know, one, one crawl in the wrong direction and it, it, it's very dangerous. But the overseer will properly care for the baby. The qualified overseer, the full package overseer will properly care for the baby. Babies are beautiful. You see, the problem happens when babies stay babies. No, we have to grow and move on to perfection. And so if you're a baby believer, baby believer, you look at verse three, you look at verse four and it's like, whoa, that's scary. I don't want to be a liar. I don't want the truth to not be in me. So I got to keep the commandments. Where are the commandments? Well, I'm going to go to the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to read the statutes, the Levitical law. I'm going to read numbers, and I'm going to do those things. You see, there's kind of a the, the fear factor here, you know, where the baby believer is like, well, you know, like, what do I do? What do I do? And John says, you know, by not keeping the commandments, a believer is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That's scary to the baby believer. And the baby believer is easily seduced into the law by the pseudodelphos. Remember the pseudodelphos from the book of Galatians? This is exactly what happened to the saints in Galatia, baby believers. Baby believers, where were the teachers? Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? Where were the overseers? Where were the shepherds? I mean, yeah, they had them just like the book of Judges. Yeah, you know, remember the book of Judges? Yeah, we got the priests. We got the Levites. We got the Kohanim. We're good to go. But where can be found Aboda, Aboda, Mishkan? Remember? I mean, if you're listening for the first time and you're like, well, what is that? Aboda, Aboda, Mishkan? Is that what he said? What is that? Well, go back and listen to our study in Leviticus. You'll understand a whole lot more. You'll learn all about it. And then you listen to our study in the book of Judges, you'll see like, yeah, they had the priests. They had the Levites. They had the Kohanim. They had it. They had their annual celebration, remember? But where was Abu Dha, Abu Dha Mishkan? 
You see? That's a big problem when everybody's doing right in his own eyes. When everybody's doing right in her own eyes. That's a big problem. Where was Aboda Aboda Mishkan in Corinth? You see? Yeah, they had the pastors. Yeah, they had the elders. Where was Aboda Aboda Mishkan in Galatia? Yeah, they had the pastors all right. They had the elders all right. But look what happened. Even today. Yeah, we got pastors. There's pastors everywhere. Elders are everywhere. On every street corner. And I mean that on purpose. On every street corner, you can find the pastor. You can find the elders. You can find it all. On every street corner. But where in the world is Aboda, Aboda, Mishkan? Service unto the Lord. Where? That's what I want to know. Where are the pastors of these last days? When times of peril aren't coming, they're here. Straight up, they're here. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Where in the world are the pastors? And so a baby believer, they read verse 4. It's like, whoa, I don't want the truth not in me. I don't want to be a liar. And then they go to a Christian. They go to what they think is a Christian. And the Christian tells them, oh, yeah, we're Hebrew roots. Yeah, you know, the, the, John, the, first John chapter two, verse three and four. By this, we we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So what do we do? We keep his commandments. And the baby believer doesn't know any better and figures, well, you know, I went to the Christian. The Christian says this is what it means. She takes me to the pastor. I introduce myself. He introduces himself. We meet. Yeah, nice guy. I'm going to go to church now. This is a nice, you know, church. It's a Hebrew roots. Oh, we go, we, we go, we go back to the basics. We go back to the beginning. We're Hebrew roots. Oh, we're hardcore. You see? And what happens is that the baby believer is seduced to exit Jesus Christ. You see, remember what Paul says to the saints in Galatia? He's blown away. He straight up says, I'm blown away, you guys. I'm blown away that you guys are turning away so soon from Jesus Christ. I'm, he says, I marvel that you've turned away so soon from Jesus. I'm blown away that you guys have exited Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. You see? The baby believer is easily seduced into the law. Well, it's like, wait a second. The Christian told me to go to this pastor. The Christian told me to go to the church. Well, that Christian didn't understand formula and he took you to the wolf. You see, that's what happens. It's happening, man. We see it happening. We see it happening. It's happening. It's happening left and right. But it's what Jesus tells us the last days is going to look like. Everybody doing right in his own eyes. Everybody doing right in her, her own eyes. So what do we do? And Brother John, he says that, you know, in verse 3, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. 
What do we do? In verse 4, he says, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So what do we do? Understand. Beloved, understand. Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. You see, the Hebrew roots people, they like to say that Jesus fulfills the law, and that is correct. But what they willfully forget is what Jesus also says, that he also fulfills the prophets. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. Remember, Jesus says, I did not come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets and the prophets and the prophets. Because in the law, sacrifice is good. But in the prophets, sacrifice is worthless. You see, the prophets themselves, they testify of the law's inability to sanctify. The prophets themselves. Remember Isaiah? Isaiah, picture the what, what the religious establishment would have thought to hear Isaiah, the audacity of Isaiah. How dare this man say that sacrifice is worthless? Isaiah, who do you think you are? You see, Isaiah was with the Lord. Isaiah was with the Lord. Beautiful, beautiful Isaiah was with the Lord. I mean, in, a book, in the book of Judges. Book of Judges. Look what happened. It's such a painful book. So much hurt. And so, yeah, there's glimmers of beauty. And Deborah, I'm so in love with Deborah. Don't forget Yael. I'm in love with her too. That's Old Testament for my sisters in Christ. No more tent pegs. But I like the tent peg. Old Testament. As new covenant believers, different rules of engagement, no tent pegs. Look at Judges. Painful, painful, painful passages. Remember the rape? The gang rape all night long until morning? The idolatry? The wars, the death? And the whole time they had their annual celebration, annual feast of the Lord. They had their priests. They had, they had Levites. They had Kohanim. The religious establishment. Picture the religious establishment hearing Isaiah dare speak against sacrifice and offering. Isaiah, who do you think you are? What about Jeremiah? Jeremiah, who do you think you are? How dare you speak against us? How dare you say that the Lord is not with us? How dare you have the audacity to think, Jeremiah, that you're with the Lord and that the Lord is with you? You have the audacity to think that? Where did you go to school, Jeremiah? Look, look at our certificates. Look at how we have the scrolls. Who do you think you are, Amos? 
Who do you think you are, Zechariah, Zephaniah? Who in the world do you think you are? Picture the, the religious establishment. And Jesus says, I did not come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. You see? And the prophets themselves point to the very fact that the law has an inability to sanctify. You see? Pastors in Hebrew roots churches, they're disqualified. They have no business at the pulpit. They willfully forget the book of Hebrews because in Hebrews chapter 7, turn really quick to Hebrews chapter 7. In Hebrews chapter 7, the book of Hebrews chapter 7. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, if perfection, if perfection, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? You see, the writer of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is straight up saying that if perfection could be achieved through the law, through the Levitical priesthood, through the law, there wouldn't need to be another priest of Melchizedek. It's like what, what Paul says to Galatia. You know, if righteousness could come, could, could, could come through the law, if righteousness could come through the law, then Jesus died in vain. That's what Brother Paul says. And the writer of Hebrews says the exact same thing. Very interesting. Understand, there is another priest, the better priest, in the order of Melchizedek. You see, in the order of Melchizedek. And since that's the case, we see what verse 12 says in Hebrews chapter 7 in verse 12. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. You see, there is also a change of the law. Now. Since we now know, since we now know, I mean, it's been known before, but if you're listening for the first time, or if you're a baby believer, or even if you're in the Hebrew roots movement presently, since we know officially looking at Hebrews 7 verse 11 and 12, since we know that there is a change of the law of Moses and the Levitical priesthood, since we know that the changer of the law is another priest in the order of Melchizedek, let's go back and read again what Brother John says in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Now, by this, he says, Brother John, by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. You see, the Hebrew roots pastors who point to Moses, they're wrong. Those pastors, those teachers, the Hebrew roots, 
They point to Moses and they're wrong. You know who's right? Brother John, Brother Paul. They don't point to Moses. Moses doesn't even point to Moses. Moses wrote of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? The religious establishment? He says, Moses wrote about me. The one who didn't come to do away with the law, he came to fulfill the law and fulfill the prophets. The priest in the order of Melchizedek. The high priest in the order of Melchizedek with a change of the law as Hebrews 7 reveals. And this high priest in the order of Melchizedek, he has commandments that you and me are to keep. You see? You see, Brother John, when he says to keep the commandments, he's not talking Levitical. He's not talking Moses. He's talking Melchizedek. The Hebrew roots pastors and teachers, so-called pastors, so-called teachers, they call themselves that. But when you understand the Bible and the word of God and, and formula, you also understand that those very vessels who refer to themselves as pastors and teachers, they are outside of Christ because they adhere to the dead Levitical. Life is found in another order, and that is of Melchizedek. You see? A lot of denominations are going to be mad at me today, but that's nice. If you're presently in the Hebrew Roots movement, leave the dead. Let the dead bury the dead and walk with the living. But before you leave, tell your friends, bring them with you. And let us walk together to paradise. We're in the last days. We're, you know, not a time to play games. Don't play games. Don't play games. We're not in Kansas anymore. This is serious. You see? And if that's you, you're leaving the Hebrew Roots Movement before we begin our journey, before we start walking, you got to repent. You got to repent. Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. You got to repent. And then let us together walk in purity and clean before the Most High. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Very important. A lot of denominations can be mad at me today. Episcopals, Calvinists, Reformed, Presbyterian, Hebrew Roots, Episcopal, Methodist, Lutheran. I think I might have repeated a couple. A lot of denominations can be mad. And if you're listening for the first time, you're like, whoa, you know, like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? The word of God is spiritually discerned. You say, well, the Episcopals have the Bible. Why are they in crazy town? They have no spirit. You see? The Hebrew roots, they have the Bible. Where is the Holy Spirit? The Calvinists, they have the Bible. Where is the Holy Spirit? You see? I'm with John. I'm with Peter. I'm with Paul. I'm with Timothy. I'm with Titus. You see, just like, remember, Onesiphorus, 
Every, when all the saints were leaving Paul, Demas left Paul, the saints in Asia left Paul, the bright lights, big city, seduced by Alexander and Himenaeus. Remember Onesiphorus? You can say all you want about Paul, but he was a Berean. You know, Onesiphorus was a Berean because Paul would teach whatever he taught. I mean, you know, in, in the word of God and writing his letters, but, you know, in, 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 in the, you know, what, when Paul would speak. But as a Berean, Onesiphorus, he went just as a Berean. Check the scriptures and make sure everything was on the up and up. So Alexander could say whatever they want about Paul. Himenaeus could say whatever he wants about Paul. All the saints in Asia can say whatever they say, whatever they want to say about Paul. That's nice, Onesiphorus said. That's nice. I'm with Paul. You see? We have to understand formula. And so, Brother John continues in verse 5, not pointing to the order of Aaron or the Levitical priesthood. No, he's pointing to the order of Melchizedek. You see? The order of Melchizedek. Not the order of the dead. No. The order of the living and his commandments. Jesus came to fulfill the law and fulfill the prophets. In verse 5, Brother John continues here in 1 John chapter 2. He says in verse 5, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. You see, we stress formula for a reason. It's for your safety, yes, but it's also for your perfection. Because when the formula is right in you, look at the effectuation, the promises of God where truly, Brother John says, truly, 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 the love of God is perfected in you. Remember, the Bible says that God's word does not return to him void. You know what returns to him when the formula is right? Only the remnant. Only the remnant. You see? Just like we said earlier, it's like, well, wait a second. The Episcopals have their Bible. The Lutherans have their Bible. The Methodists have a Bible. Calvinists, Hebrew roots, Presbyterian, Reformed. They have their Bible. Yeah, they do. God's word goes forth. But who returns to him? It's only the remnant. Only the remnant. You see? Because the word of God is spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit. And so verse 5, Brother John says, remember, I'm just a messenger. Brother John is the one who gave us this invitation last week. Remember the, the beautiful invitation, the invitation into his tiny bubble? As for me, I want to walk, I want, I want to be in that tiny bubble. I want, to, I want to be in the tiny bubble of John. I want to be in the tiny bubble of Paul. I want to be in the tiny bubble of Peter. Yeah, Peter's a little hardcore. You know, he says, you know, when, he, when he's speaking to the Christians and he says, you know, you adulterers and adulteresses, whoa, that's pretty hardcore. But it needs to be said. 
because it prevents leaven. Because people realize, like, whoa, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm teetering. I'm, I'm in leaven, or I'm teetering on leaven. And if I'm in leaven and I'm teetering in the next level, whoa, that's not good because that's idolatry. And praise be the Lord, you know, Brother James is a little hardcore, but you know, praise the Lord, he's hardcore because you know, hey, I need to repent. I want to come to church and feel good about myself, but with the crack, the sex, the alcohol, the whiskey, the Ouija boards, the, the Buddha, Mary, and the Krishna, the crystals. Hey, I want to come to church and feel good, but with all this in my life, I feel like dirt. And Brother James says, I'm adulterer, adulteress. It's all, whoa. Brother James, what do I do? He says, okay, not, not a time to be happy right now. Not a time for joy. It's a time for sackcloth and ashes. We got to repent. So we get on our faces before the Lord. Lord, Lord, forgive me. I repent. Buddha's gone. Mary gone. Whiskey gone. You see? Strippers gone. Crack meth gone. Idols burned gone. And Lord, forgive me. I repent. Praise the Lord that Brother James says adulterers and adulteresses. Remember, inspired of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord, because, hey, hardcore, yes, but it had to be said. Because we have to be on our faces before the Lord and repent. And the aftermath of repentance. Remember, godly sorrow. There's worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. A person hears Brother James say, you adulterers and adulteresses. Uh, worldly sorrow was, okay, I'm out of here, James. I'm going to go to this other church. This pastor is going to whisper sweet nothings to me. I'm going to still be my, my Buddha, my, my strippers, my gambling, my, my Krishna, my, 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 my chakras, my crystals, my Ouija board. And I'm going to go to this church and this pastor is not going to say anything about it. And I'm going to go to church and feel good about myself. He's going to tell me jokes at the pulpit so that I can have joy. That's the joy of the foolish comedian. That's worldly sorrow. Oh, I mean, James, he hurt my little feelers. I'm out of here. I'm going to go to this other guy. Just like the saints in Asia. Just like the saints who left Paul and went to Alexander and Hymenaeus. Wrong formula with them. But they were seduced. You see? Oh, I'm done with James. He's, you know, he hurts my, he hurts my little feelers. He speaks bad about my pornography. He speaks, brother James. He speaks bad about my Buddha. Brother James, he 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 says I don't that he, that it's not good that I have my 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 Mary. You see, he says it's not good that I have my 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 whiskey, my Jim Beam. He doesn't like it when I have Mary or Jim. So I'm gonna go to Alexander. He's gonna whisper sweet nothings to me. That's what worldly sorrow does. But godly sorrow, godly sorrow, acknowledges the same thing. Like, whoa, brother James, he doesn't like my Jim. He doesn't like my Mary. He doesn't like my Jim. He doesn't like my Mary. He doesn't like my Mary Jane. Man, what he said, that hurts. I don't like that. Wow, that hurts. But I got to get on my face before the Lord. And I got to repent. I got to repent. What Brother James says 
It hurts, yes. But his words force me to my knees. Lord, forgive me. You see? Lord, all these things which keep me from you, they're idols. The crack, the sex, the pornography, the gambling, the strippers, Buddha, Mary, they keep me from you, Lord. And they're idols. And I don't want idols because you say you don't want me to have idols. And I want to honor you, Lord. Yeah, Brother James is a little hardcore, but thank you for Brother James. Because he's watching out for my soul. You see? Thank you that Brother James had the chutzpah to tell me, to speak to me. So that I can be clean before you, Lord. So that I can be pure before you. And a lot of people left James. A lot of people went to Alexander. A lot of people went to Himenaeus. All the saints in Asia went to Himenaeus and Alexander. But I'm with James. Forgive me, Lord. I repent. You know what happens in the aftermath of that? Boom. The ushering in of godly joy. It's the joy of the Lord. And there's nothing like it. The joy of the... You know, people can go to the comedians at the pulpit and they're going to get like stupid joy. They're going to get carnal joy. The laughing from a comedian. That's not godly joy. They're going to have joy for about 10 seconds while they laugh. They're going to have joy for about 5 seconds while they laugh. But let the dead bury the dead. Because godly joy... It only comes from the Lord. And it's only, only unto the remnant. Those with ears to hear and eyes to see. Only for the remnant. You see? Oh, but the Episcopals have their Bible. The Lutherans have their Bible. The Calvinists have their Bible. The Hebrew roots, they have their Bible. I know. I know. But just as the Bible teaches, God's word goes forth. But who comes back? Like the boomerang. Or the fishermen. Remember Jesus says, walk with me and I'll teach you. I'll show you. I'll make you fishers of men. You see? It's only the remnant that comes back. And so in verse 5, Brother John says, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected perfected in him and that's what we desire perfection in you my beloved beautiful beloved brother beautiful beloved sister that's what we fight for that's what we'll die for perfection in you brother john continues he says by this we know that we are in him. You see, the saint, when the formula is right, the saint can have the utmost confidence in salvation. The utmost confidence. And we do. But the formula 
It must be right. It has to be right. You see? It's the false teacher that misplaces biblical confidence through false doctrine. For example, you're like, I don't get it. What are you talking about? Misplaced confidence? What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, what are you talking about? False doctrine. How, how does that happen? How does the false teacher do that through false doctrine? I'll give you an example. A pastor with this false doctrine says, Oh, once saved, always saved is true. That's what the pastor says. Once saved, always saved is true. And since it's true, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved because once saved, always saved. So you can do whatever. Take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved because once saved, always saved. You see, that's misplaced confidence that leads to hell, hellfire, damnation, straight up like a fire, you know, weeping, gnashing of teeth. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. Outside, not inside. That's big. But biblical confidence, biblical confidence, not, not confidence that the freak show says at the pulpit, you know, like go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved because once saved, always saved. No, that's false doctrine. Number one. But number two, it opens the door to more perilous things. You see? But the saint, when the formula is right, absolutely has confidence, biblical confidence. The formula must be right in us, in you, in me, in doctrine, in fruit, and in works. In doctrine, in fruit, and in works. And someone says, oh, but we're not saved by works. We're not saved by works. Amen. Precisely. We're saved for good works. Remember our study in Hebrews and James? If you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study in Hebrews and James. We are saved for good works. In verse 6, Brother John continues. He says, for he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. You see? I meant straight up with Jesus. Did his walk not have fruit? Did his walk not have works? The very fact, the very fact that you and me believe today proves his works and his fruit. And our Lord has taught us by his own example. Brother John in verse 7 says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Now, is John referring to the commandments of Moses? No. Remember, we're around 90 AD and John is telling the saints, this isn't anything new. You've heard this before. And he says in verse 8, and again, a new commandment I write to you. So, now we're on the edge of our seats. What is this new commandment that Brother John is going to give us? And of this new command, he says this. A new commandment I write to you. Which thing is true. It's true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, this is a big deal. 
I mean, it, all of it is a big deal. But this is a big deal. I mean, even more so as we get further in the last days. It's all a big deal. But as we get further in the events of the last days, certain passages of Scripture are going to be of utmost importance in terms of understanding. Because we have to factor in all the it is also written. All of the thousands of it is also written. Because it's true in verse 11, he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his his eyes. And the universalists, what they do, the Episcopals, the Methodists, the Lutherans, modern day, what they say, when I say modern day, because you look at Martin Luther back in the day, Martin Luther, you know, the Reformation, what, to leave Roman Catholicism when he did, that was a big deal. And it happened because he read the Bible and he understood the New Testament. The problem with Martin Luther is that what he did with the New Testament, he should have done with the Old Testament. And because he didn't, what happened is a lot of anti-Semitism came into play. And so he started well, and it's a big deal to leave Roman Catholicism. But if I could go back in time, you know, I'd say, hey, Martin, keep going. What you did in the New Testament, do it with the Old Testament. And it would be well for you. And so the modern day Lutheran, when you factor in, you know, the cultural changes over time, they look at verse 11 today, the modern, I mean, you hear us reference modern Lutherism because back in the day, leaving the Roman, leaving Roman Catholic Church, you know, that, that's a big deal. And that was a good thing. And, you know, that happened. And when Martin Luther started to do his works in translation, there was a heavy focus on New Testament. But there should have been equal focus in Old Testament. And because there wasn't that equal focus, what happened is that these seeds of anti-Semitism started to become a factor. So, you know, in modern-day Lutheranism, we, we specifically say modern-day Lutheranism, but back in the day to leave the Roman Catholic Church, that was good. You see? And so modern-day Lutherans and Methodists and Episcopals, the Universalists, they look at verse 11 and say, like, well, wait a second, you know, I don't want to hate. I don't, I don't want to be in darkness. I don't want to walk in darkness. And the Bible says that that happens if I hate my brother, so I'm not going to hate my brother. So, therefore... If my brother wants to express his love in this way, then, hey, I'm all for it. You see, if my sister wants to express her love this way, hey, I'm all for it. You see, and they start to make excuses for walking in darkness and they start to make excuses for the carnal behavior. They start to make excuses for things carnal, walking according to the flesh. Not factoring in the thousands of it is also written. Only the remnant does. So Brother John says, you know, in verse 10, he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. But Jesus, when we factor in the it is also written, remember, he's the one who says he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter 
more than me is not worthy of me. So now we know something. When we factor in what Jesus says, when we factor in what John says, and John is in submission to Jesus, and John also has the Pericles, the Holy Spirit, we understand that the pinnacle of our love, the pinnacle of our love above anyone or anything is Jesus. 100% it's Jesus. It has to be Jesus. It must be Jesus. The biblical Jesus. Remember, the biblical Jesus also warns us that there will be many Christs in the last days. Many Christs. You see? So we have to make sure it's the right Jesus. You know, the pinnacle of our love, we have to make sure it's the biblical Jesus. How do we know the biblical Jesus? Well, the word of God says his word is above his name. Genesis to Revelation. We have to know the word of God. You see? And so, Brother John, when we understand, when we factor in that it is also written, we know that Jesus, the biblical Jesus, he's the pinnacle of our love. Our love for Jesus Christ. And so John is bringing up hatred toward a brother or sister in Christ. So what do we do? How are, how are these two things reconciled in the word of God? You see, the mocker, the scoffer, the non-believer will say, you see, it's a contradiction in the Bible. Because John says to love, and Jesus says, you know, uh, you know that he who loves more than me is not worthy of me. So what do we do? J Jesus says, love more than me is not worthy of me. And brother, uh, brother John says to, you know, anyone who hates is in darkness and walks in darkness. And the scoffer and the mocker, they say, oh, look, a contradiction in the Bible, contradiction in the Bible. Therefore, the Bible is fake. That's what the mocker says. That's what the scoffer says. In these last days, antichrist spirit. When we factor in more, it is also written. This is why Peter, Paul, and James, they speak of leaven. You see? It's why Paul says, do not count them as the non-believer. You see, remember, when, when someone who's in uh, uh, habitual sin, when we look at our studies in Thessalonian letters, he says anybody who's 11, don't count them as a non-believer. Remember, in the, the 11 in Corinth, Paul referred to them as saints. You see? Paul referred to the 11 as saints. But they were 11. And so when you look at the fruit and when you look at the works, you'll know who the leaven is. I mean, always accounting for babies. I mean, somebody comes to Christ and then a week later you see them like, uh, 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 you know, drinking a beer or something you know, or drinking whisk or, you know, drunk even, you know, a week later they came to Christ and then a week later they're drunk. Well, they're babies. Babies don't understand. I'm not saying that's a good thing. It's a bad thing. They shouldn't be that way. But they don't understand godliness. They're babies. They have to learn. They have to mature. These are things that the overseers train and teach. The elders, they'll come alongside a brother. They'll come alongside a sister and say, hey, that's not good. That's not good. You shouldn't be drunk on the side of the road. That's not good. But a person who's a Christian in the church after three years, five years, ten years, and they're still drunk on the side of the road, no, listen, that's no longer baby territory. That's leaven territory. And when you look at the fruit and works, you'll know who the leaven is. And that's why Paul says, separate from the leaven. You see, they're still saints. In Thessalonians, Paul says, don't say they're not a brother. Don't say they're not a sister. They're leaven. You see? And you have to separate from the leaven. 
Because a little leaven leavens the bunch. You see? Remember in 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, you guys are saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you guys are saints. You see? Chapter 3, you guys are saints. Babies, but you're still saints. Chapter 4, saints. Chapter 5, leaven. Straight up, leaven. Separate from the leaven. Chapter 6, saints, but remnant. You see? Very important to understand. And when the leaven is outside the camp, certain things happen. Certain things. I mean, remember, we give these examples. Say you and me, we get in my time machine. We go back in time. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 era. Someone comes in the church, say, hey, we got a letter from Paul. We got a letter from Paul. And they start to read it. In chapter 1, we're like, a smile on our face. We're like, wow, you know, look, this is so cool. Brother Paul, he wrote us a letter. Wow, they're reading it. Chapter 2, oh, wow, this is so cool. Chapter 3 is a little sting to our hearts because it's like, wow, he's, he's straight up calling us babies. Brother Paul, straight up, he's, wow, he, he's not mincing words. He's straight up called us babies. And then, boom, chapter 5 comes. You see? Alcohol, extortion, the sex. There was a guy who was having sex with his dad's wife. The works of the flesh. And say, for example, that was us. Say that, you know, we get in my time machine. We go back in time. And, you know, chapter one, wow, we're, we're so, wow, this is so cool, you know. Chapter two, wow, this is so cool. Chapter three, like, oh, that hurts. He calls, he's calling us babies. Chapter three, chapter four, chapter five comes. It's like, boom, we're like wow, you know, we, we get drunk every night. We've been doing that for 10 years. And then say, for example, the saints in the church, they say, you know, we're going to fellowship over here. And this is, this is for us now. And they t- that's what they tell us. They say, this is for us. We're going to go to Chloe's house. Can we come? Can we come? No, I'm sorry. You can't. That's what they tell us. What? Yeah, we're just doing what Paul says. Because, you know, you guys have been drunk for 10 years. You get drunk on the street corner. Every- we've, been- we've told you. It's not like we didn't ever told you that those 10 years. We remember what Chloe told you. But we're part of the body we're supposed to love. We're supposed to listen. Just like Paul says, you're still a saint. You're still my brother. You're still my sister. You're you're still, but because of your works, because of your fruit. And we told you this. You know, a month in, we told you. A year in, we told you. Five years in, we told you. Nine years in, we told you. But boom, Paul dropped the hammer. And so now you and me, we're outside the camp. With, like, say, like, a hundred other people. So there's, like, a hundred and ninety-eight other people, and we're one of them. So there's a, well, a hundred people total, we're two of them. So ninety-eight them, and two you and me, and so a hundred eleven. I'm terrible at math, but I'm, I think I think I did that right. So there's a total of a hundred eleven who no longer fellowships. No longer fellowships with the remnant. So now you and me are on the outside. Now, that hurts. That pains, that, that, that's painful. So now you and me are outside the camp. 
And we go a week outside the camp. We go two weeks. We go a month outside the camp. And we miss our friends. We miss our brothers. We miss, miss our sisters. And they're not mean to us. You know, we see them on the street. You know, we see them walking by. We walk by them. And they don't refer to us as, oh, you're no longer saved. They, they still call us brothers. They still call us sisters. Well, man, if you're a female sister, you know, me being male. They still refer to us as brother and sister, as brother and brother, or, you know, brother and sister. They still refer to us that way. They're not saying, well, you're not a believer. You're not a believer. But they're, they're still nice to us. They, they, they have their own walk. They're still nice to us. They have their own fruit. They have their own works unto the Lord. And now we notice it even more beautifully, even more palpably. Because now we're not among them. And because we're not among them, their own growth and maturity. You know, we've been out for a week, a month, five months, six months. And something's happening. Now that fellowship, they're shining brighter because the leaven is no longer among them. You see, unfortunately, that was us. And now we start to hurt. I mean, we hurt at the onset, but now it hurts deeper because like, it's not just that we miss them, but it's like now we start to realize the error of our ways. So we used to get drunk every night and one night we're there with our drinks and it's like, wow, this is kind of gross. I don't like the taste of it. Not, not the taste necessarily, but the effects of the taste in the fact that it led us outside the camp by the fruit of our own doing. And now we're outside the camp. It's been six months. We're outside the camp and now it's like we drink and it's like, I don't like it anymore. I look at you, you look at me, I say, I don't like it anymore. How about you? And you look at me like, I don't like this anymore. Now we're like straight up sad. The air of our way, it's deep. We're realize, we realize now that, you know, when... Paul came to town and yeah, we believed and it was so beautiful. And then you turn to me and you say, do you remember what Chloe used to tell us? Do you remember how Chloe always used to tell us, you know, hey, you know, drink some water instead, you know? And we smile like, yeah, I remember good old Chloe, you know, she's a good gal. And we start to weep. We start to cry. Like, wow, we miss Chloe. She's our sister. I miss Chloe. I look at you. You look at me. You're like, yeah, I miss Chloe too. And we're both crying. And something's happening because we realize our sin, the error of our ways, and we're living. Then we turn to the side. We look at the other guys, the 98. We look at them, and they're still getting drunk. Now they're drinking like crazy. And now they're like, you straight up stupor. They're like passed out on the street. Some of them are, you know, mixing in other things. Now they're starting to take, you know, chemical, you know, chemical things, you know, mushrooms, ayahuasca. Oh, it's natural. God made it so we can take it. It's natural. So now they're getting drunk. They're doing their whiskey, ayahuasca, mushrooms, all these things. 98 people 
And we're just two among the leaven. And we're brokenhearted. We're outside, you know, we don't... Chloe, we see her every now and then. She's still nice to us. We still see this brother over here, this brother. They're still nice to us. Because they're, they're moving on to perfection. We're not. They're moving on to perfection. They're becoming more beautiful, more glorious. And we see it now because we're on the outside. The 98, they remained in their stupor and it got worse. And you and me, we kind of like in a momentary pause because we realize the error of our ways. You see? And unbeknownst to us, Paul, it's been three years later, unbeknownst to us, Paul writes them a second letter. And in this second letter of Paul, Paul tells them, A, the people that were the leaven, bring them back in. Bring them back in. Lest they be crushed with sorrow. Bring them back in. And so you and me one day were, unbeknownst to us, we didn't, we, we didn't see chapter 2. We didn't see that second letter of Paul. They did. The, the, the remnant did. And we're bummed out. We're kind of like, you know, walking on the street, kicking rocks. And then we see one of those brothers walking with another sister. We see them two walking. And we have a smile on our face, but it's kind of shameful because it's like, man, we're not part of them anymore. Then they smile and they say, hey, hey, how are you? And we're like, well, they, they're talking to us. Like, wow, this is cool. I mean, they always talked to us before, but now it's like, now it's different. We embrace them. They embrace us and our hearts are so warmed because it's like, wow, we miss your embrace. Then they tell us, hey, we're, we're going to have another meeting tonight. Do you want to come? Remember, unbeknownst to us, in Paul's second letter, he says, hey, bring them back in. You see what's happening? We come back in, the pastor is there. The pa oh, wow, we missed you. We hated you before because you were like Chloe. You, we wanted to get drunk and you told us to drink water. You know, we didn't like that. And so we hated you before. So we went to this other, we went to the mega church down the street. Where, you know, the guy whispered sweet nothings to us. Little did we know then there was a whole lot of sweet nothing. A whole lot of rotten nothing. And the pastor has a tear in his eye. I missed you guys too. I've been praying for you. What? This whole time you've been praying for us? Yeah, I've been praying for you. How have you been? Not so good, pastor. Not so good. We miss you guys. We miss the fellowship. And so we look around and it's like, wow, the, the other 98, they're not here. Did you tell them? Yeah, we told them, but we found the guy on the side of the road and he wanted to be on the side of the road. And one of the brothers found you guys, one of the brother and the sister, they found you guys and looks like you don't want to be on the side of the road anymore. No, 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 pastor. We didn't like, we didn't, we didn't like you at the time, but we should have listened to you. And then the pastor says, okay, let's get you cleaned up. You got to repent. Repent for the error of your ways. Let's get you cleaned up. 
And he says, okay, just say this prayer. And he leads us to salvation. You see, people get mad. They're like, oh, you know, the, 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 the sinner's prayer. And you think that's going to, that, that's a free ticket to heaven? Yeah. Straight up. Yes. Well, if it's so easy, then how can we see the church is a mess? Where are the te- Where is Aboda Aboda Mishkan? You see? These are where the legalists, they say, well, you know, easy believism, easy but be- What's so hard about believing? And so the pastor says, let's get you cleaned up. Paul wrote us a letter. He says, hey, bring you guys back in. But you guys are the only two that came back. You see, and we rejoice. We're back back into our family. Back with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Back in the body. Except there's something different now. Now, where we, the leaven included with, you know, as one body, our works, our fruit, were bringing them down. You see? And because of our separation, they themselves were able to get cleaned up. And when they were able to get cleaned up, they were able to grow and mature. And that's been happening for three years. And we've been bummed out. Some of the 98, they didn't care. But as for you and me, we were bummed out. And so we're in that fellowship. That first day back, the pastor says, let's get you cleaned up. You see? And now that remnant, they're not like how they were three years ago. They're more mature. And they love on us still and we love on them. But now there's a deficit because we're still babies. And instead of babies setting the norm, instead of babies being the influence, now the remnant, the mature, they're the influencers. You see? They help us. Remember the rugby match in Romans? Young theologian now. Where do you get the doctrine of rugby? Where do you get the doctrine of rugby? Where do you get the doctrine of bubbles? Where do you get the doctrine of dominoes? Go back and listen to our study. Except include Romans this time. You'll learn all about rugby. And so now we're the babies. Except they're not shunning us because we're babies. Now they're the ones that can help us move on to perfection. You see? It's so beautiful. This is something that the church in Philippi, they had good pastors, good overseers, good elders, good teachers. Because the problems that you see in Corinth, the problems that you see in Galatia, that doesn't happen in Philippi. Good teachers, good pastors. Very important to understand. What happened in this example? You and me, we were outside the camp because we were leaven. And... Leaven, certain things can happen with leaven where a heart can grow hard, like the 98, or hearts can soften, like us two, you and me. And with softening, there is a return to Christ and a return to the body, exactly what we see in 2 Corinthians. But with the hardening, with the 98 in this example, that's when we get into Hebrews 6 territory, where Restoration, their restoration, restoration happened to us. That's second Corinthians territory. But for the 98 in the example, hearts getting harder. 
that enters Hebrews 6 territory. And that's where restoration gets closer and closer and closer to becoming impossible. Remember the doors that we mentioned in our last book in the book of Judges? Or certain doors, they have to stay shut. And I wish, I wish, I wish they could be locked, shut and locked. But they can't be locked. They have to stay shut. But not everybody keeps them shut. Overseers should keep them shut. But in these last days, overseers keep them wide open. That's not good. Wide open. That's not a good thing. And so, Brother John, here in 1 John chapter 2, he's telling us not to hate. He's telling us not to hate. And yes, absolutely, don't hate. But we have to factor in the it is also written. You see? Just like, you know, when we were outside the camp in this example, we still we would still walk in town and you know go to the store and get our groceries and we would still see the brothers and sisters and they still refer to us as brother and sister except they didn't fellowship with us anymore. They were still nice to us. They weren't mean to us. They still had love towards us. Unbeknownst to us, the pastor who we hated, he was praying for us. Unbeknownst to us at the time, we didn't realize it, but he loved us. The saints, they loved us. But because of us, because of you and me, because of the works of our hands, the steps of our feet, because of our fruit, because of our works. Yeah, we believe in Jesus, but don't forget what Brother James says. Even the demons believe. Yeah, we believe Jesus, all right. But we also liked whiskey. You see? idolatry and because of our fruit because of our works we were the leaven they still loved us but we were the leaven so brother john is telling us not to hate a good thing but we cannot forget that it is also written so where does that leave us where does that leave the saint i'll give you the answer Long-suffering, exactly like our Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. Long-suffering. You see, the heart of God. And so Brother John continues here in verse 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who was from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Some of old man John's words are repetitive and I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. If I were to meet old man John, get in my time machine, go back in time, and he were to say, hey, little one, I don't want to say I would probably cry. I know it. I would cry. I would cry. Terms of endearment. Old man John to little me. And he says, little one, 
in pouring into me, teaching me. I would cry. And that's what Brother John does to us today, to this day. His words, inspired of the Spirit, captured in the canon of Scripture, the word of the Lord. That's how close his proximity was to the Lord, cheek to cheek. His intimacy with our Lord Jesus Christ. Captured in the canon of Scripture, and the word became flesh. That's how close he was to Jesus. Remember, leaning in into his bosom, our study from last week. Very important to understand. As you seek, you know, I have these conversations with Christians. Where do I go to church? I can't find a church. I can't find a church. You know, you understand formula and we know what to look for. But at the same time, you want a pastor who's cheek to cheek with Jesus, son of the most high. You see? Because such a pastor will teach you, will train you, will equip you. As tasked by the Lord. They're serving the Lord. I mean, you're a benefactor of that. You know, they're doing it for the Lord, but you're the benefactor. But I mean, they're tasked by the Lord specifically for that. They watch out for your soul. It's no small thing. They know that they will give an account to the very things that they teach you, that they pour into. That they pour, you know, the things that they teach and pour into you, they're going to give an account for that. They know that. You see, they're charged and tasked by the Lord specifically for that. Look for such a man. You see, in past, remember, covering always male. Look for such a, a pastor. It was always important. It's, it's always of importance, but even more so in these last days. What an encouragement to the saints of 90 AD for old man John. Old man John, to even when the words are repetitive, what an encouragement for the saints. What an encouragement to the enduring remnant of 90 AD and still today in 2023 AD. He says this in verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. That's what brother John says. This is the love of the world that trapped Demas, seduced Demas. Demas, he started out well. He walked with Paul. Then he left Paul for the bright lights and big city. Land of opportunity. You see, the seduction of the world has a strong pull, very strong pull. I mean, it worked for Demas. The seduction of the world has a very strong pull today. But the love of the world removes love for God. I mean, it's easy math. If we love God at 100% of every fiber of our being, 100% for the Lord, of every single fiber of our essence, of our being, of our heart, of our mind, of everything about us, that's good. That's a good thing, 100%. But then if we love the world at 20%, if we love the world at 20%, we might think, okay, it's a good thing. It's no big deal. It's no problem. It's, it's fine. But it is a problem. It is a problem because God, he only has 80% of our love instead of 100% of every fiber of our being, heart, mind, soul, everything. The works of our hands, the steps of our feet, our fruit, our, our works, everything. If we love the world at 
Most Christians will say, oh, no big deal. If we love the world at 20%, nah, no big deal. If we love the world at 30, 40, 50%, most Christians will say, oh, no big deal. At least God's getting, you know, getting a portion, so no big deal. But what's happening is God does not have 100%. We love the world at 10%, that means God has 90%. We love the world at 40%, that means God has 60%. Our love for God is directly, directly proportional to our love for the world. Our love for the world is directly, directly proportional to our love for God. You see, we only have, every single one of us only has 100% of our love to give. And it needs to be 100% of every fiber of our being. Mind, soul, spirit, body, everything. 100% for the Lord. But then the seduction comes, the seducer comes. Hey, look at what I got over here. Hey, look, got this nice little job for you. If you had this nice little job, look, you know, look at the car you can have, you know, look at the nice fancy clothes you can wear, finally, you know, wear your silk clothes. You can finally have your expensive clothes, your expensive shoes. You can finally go to, you know, sporting events. You can finally go to Barbados. You can finally buy that yacht. You see what happens? Instead of 100% for the Lord, the seduction happens. Where it's like, wow, you know, 40%? If I keep my focus at 40%, wow, look, I can do the sporting events, you know? I can get front row seats, you know? People spend the nosebleeds, and I'm not going to sit in nosebleeds. You know, I'm going to be like right there where you can not just see the action, you can hear the action, you could smell the action, and I'm going to be right there in the mix. I'm not going to spend, you know, $10 for a ticket. I'm going to spend $5,000 for a ticket. And I can do that if I have this nice little job over here. You see? All of a sudden, what dwindles is our love for God. Remember, we all, every single one of us only has 100%. Not only, but we have 100% of our love. Which should be 100% for the Lord. But what is it that takes away the focus? Is it Buddha? Is it pornography? Is it the strippers? Is it gambling? Is it the crystals? Is it Mary? Is it the chakras? Is it the money? You see? Instead of 100%, all of a sudden, it starts to be 10% for the world. 20% for the world, 40% for the world. Finally, Demas, you know what, Paul? I like you, Paul. You're a nice guy, Paul. But you know what? I think I'm done. I think I'm done, Paul. I'm going to go to the Bright Lights big city. You see? So now Demas is seduced into the world. 40% for the world, 60% for God. And then 50% for the world, 50% for the Lord. And then 60% for the world, 70% for the world, 
80% for the world, 20%. I, I'll go to I'll go to church on Christmas. I'll go to church on, you know, Easter Sunday. I'll go to church, yeah. Oh, I used to walk with Paul. I'm hardcore. But I only go to church on Easter now. Now, 90% for the world. You see? Now he's got his yacht. You see? He's got his yacht. He can go to his sporting events. He can not spend the $10 nosebleed. Now he spends, you know, $10,000 per ticket. You see, he gets to sit next to the movie stars. $10,000 per ticket. It's a drop in the bucket. You see? Now 95% for the world, 5% for the Lord. And he loves it. Bright lights, big city. Land of opportunity. Oh, look, I can provide for my family. Oh, look, look how so look how nice this is. Now, 100% for the world, 0% for God. You see what happened? That's the seduction of the world. The battlefield is fierce. You know, Satan doesn't have Geneva Convention rules of engagement. No, he fights dirty. I mean, you see like parents with a beautiful baby. You took a mother with a beautiful baby, holding a baby, nursing a baby, and it's so beautiful. But understand, Satan, he fights dirty. He wants to kill that baby. He wants to destroy that baby. Sadly, parents let him because they're unequipped. They're not trained. They don't know how to fight. You see? It's a severe battlefield. And Satan, he doesn't fight by Geneva Convention rules of engagement. He's dirty. Look what happened to Damas. Promising him everything. You see? Damas got what he desired in terms of the flesh and the world. What he thought was good. But he lost the Lord. Zero percent for God. You see? Not good. And it's not just getting... Understand that it's, you know, getting 100% to God and then 0% for God, that's a bad thing. That's not good. But understand too, 100% for God, you can fight. At 100% for the Lord, you can fight. You're equipped. You see? Or if you're not, you're on your way. You're well on your way. When you understand formula, you're in a fellowship where the pastor is teaching and training. You, you have 100% love for the Lord. You're, you're, you're in a good situation. But you know, the pastor's going to teach you, train you, equip you, and he's gonna. you're going to be a fighter. Straight, not, not even a fighter. That's an understatement. You're going to be a straight up warrior. I mean, that's an understatement too. You're going to straight up be like top tier, top echelon warrior. Straight up warrior. Male, female, young, old, I don't care. But you're going to be top tier, top echelon warrior. Straight up. Tip of the spear. But then the seduction comes into play. Hey, look at this I got over here. Hey, check this out. Hey, turn your eyes over here. Then 100% becomes 90% for the Lord. 80% for the Lord. 
And as that, you know, it's terrible to get to 0%. But understand too, when a person is at 100% love for the Lord and then it dwindles to 80%, 70%, 60%, that person is getting weaker. It's not just getting 0% where, you know, zero love for the Lord. No, it's getting 80%, 70%. You're getting weaker. You're, you're like, you're like super duper warriors, hundred percent. Like, you know, fighter, a warrior, you know, in time and with training, like, like we see with Timothy, little Timmy, that's a beautiful thing. But then what happens too, is there's no training and equipping and then the love starts to dwindle. No, at hundred percent, Satan sees you as that's a tough fight where he's going to lose. But if he can get you at 90%, well, his odds are getting better. If he can get you at 80%, his odds are getting even better. If he can get you at that 70%, 60%, you see, his odds of victory are getting better. 30%, 20%, now you're a piece of cake. You're not a threat to him at all. You see? 0%, now you're his. 0% for the Lord, now you're Satan's. I mean, I know a lot of Christians don't like to hear it like that, but that's how it is. That's what the Bible teaches. Oh, but once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. That's nice. That's unbiblical. That's You won't find once saved, always saved in the Bible. Don't forget, names can go in the book of life and names can be blotted from the book of life. What does that say about once saved, always saved? I know pastors like to teach it. I know Christians like to believe it. But we have to go by what the Bible says. Names can enter. Names can be blotted. You see, you and me, our love for the Lord has to be at 100%. It should be. And in the fellowship of the saints, a brother, you see me where my, my love is at 100% and it goes down to 95%. You say, you know, little tap on the shoulder, the love tap, double tap. Hey, get back to 100%. Oh, you're right. You're right. Okay. Boom. 100%. I look at you. Hey, you're at 95%. Hey, get back where you need to be. Boom. You're at 100%. You see the body caring for the body. Brother's down to 85%. Hey, brother. Hey, that's not good. A sister's down to 75%. Hey, sister. That's not good. Let's get back where we need to be. You need help. You see carrying each other's crosses. That's the fellowship of the saints. Remember the ups and the downs of our walk with the Lord? The, the, the aggregate, the overall aggregate, it's going to be upward. But when you zoom in and you look at the day-to-day, -day, you're going to see ups and downs. And in the fellowship of the saints, when the formula is right, and I'm not talking about social club. You're not going to see 100% in the social club. You're going to see maybe 20%. You're going to see some 0%. You're going to see, you know, 40%, 30%, 20%. That's not good. That's lukewarm. One foot in the world, one foot in the church. But when the formula is right, a fellowship at 100%. The 100% believer can be a baby. And that baby understands that he or she is being trained by somebody who's full package, qualified, like James, like Peter, like John, like Paul. But in the course of time, that 100% baby is going to be 
100% adolescent, 100% mature, 100% deadly. That's like 100% mature, 100% deadly. That's ministry material. That's like pastor material. You see? So when the first teacher is now dead, now the next generation of leadership steps in and now is a trainer and equipper of the saints for the work of the ministry, training how to be deadly. The good deadly, not the bad deadly, the good deadly. The bad deadly is like the 0%, the ones who have defected away from truth, the apostates who have defected away from truth and now are 0% God and 100% Satan. You see, that's what happened to Damas. Seduced. Oh, but look, I can buy my yacht. Got my nice little job over here. Got my fat paycheck. See you later, Paul. It was a fun ride, Paul. But see ya. Bright lights, big city. It's a trap. And that's what Brother John is teaching us about. Do not love the world, he says in verse 15. Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And verse 16. If you're listening for the first time, every now and then we make mention of this. I make mention of this. But my throat is like really bad shape. So like if you hear these long pauses, I'm taking a sip of tea. Sometimes coffee, but I'm taking a sip of tea. So, you know, if you're willing, pray. Pray for my throat. So that we can teach the word of God for the edification of the saints, the work for the, you know, for the work of, for, for the work of the ministry in you so that you can be trained up and you can grow and you can mature and you can become deadly, the good deadly. And so here we see in verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. Remember, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. Yeah, we have our jobs. Yeah, we earn income. And with our income, we can buy groceries, we can pay rent, we can pay mortgage, but we cannot forget the kingdom of God. Do not forget the kingdom of God. We cannot become seduced by the world. And this seduction of the world, it's intense. It's going to be even more intense every single day even as we get further in the events of the last days, just as Jesus says, just like the days of Noah. Eat, drink, be merry. Oh, what is this, Noah? You're building a boat? The ocean's not even here. The ocean's way over there. Noah, you're so stupid, Noah. Come on, let's go get baked tonight, Noah. I got the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. Come on, Noah, come hang out with us. You don't want to hang out with us, Noah? You're so stupid. You're a fool. The next day, hey, Noah, come on. We're going to get drunk tonight. Come on, Noah. Hang out with us, Noah. Noah's like, no. You're so dumb. The water's way, way, way over there. How are you going to carry this boat? How are you going to move this boat? This big, giant hull that we see. How are you going to move this way over there to the ocean? It's impossible, Noah. This is proof that you have lost your mind. You are off your rocker. This is proof that you are stupid, Noah. Look, let us eat, drink, and be merry. You're so dumb. You see? And they had their heyday. The mockers, the scoffers, they had the heyday. 
Until the rains came. Until the rains came. You see? The rains come. Now the water's ankle deep. You know, maybe people, the scoffers still go, oh, you know, maybe Noah was onto something. You know, maybe we shouldn't have been joking. You know, and they, they just kind of laugh it off. Ha, 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 ha. That's a good one. That's a good one. Come on, take a sip of this. Take a hit of this. Noah was so stupid, remember? You know, the ocean is way over there. And the ocean is still over there. But wow, Noah is so stupid because look, there's no way. It's so impossible for him to move that boat. It's too big. It's impossible. No man can move that boat. The ocean is way over there. Noah's over here. It's impossible. They laugh it off. The water's ankle deep. The rains have started. You see? The water gets deeper. Now it's knee deep. Now it's waist deep. Now it's chest deep. The short people are swimming. The kids are swimming. Babies having to be held. Now it's not so funny anymore. No one's cracking jokes about Noah anymore. Noah's not a fool anymore. You see, he was a fool, you know, before people thought like, oh, he's so stupid. He's so stupid. And he's foolish. He's foolish. I mean, they, he was a fool according to that mindset, according to them, according to the mocker, according to the scoffer. But when the rains come and the rains don't stop and they persist and persist and persist and persist. And now kids are having to swim. Now parents carrying their babies, except now you see a dead child floating in the water. Okay, now, now, now this is serious. It was serious before. It was always serious. But now when the people can see, see, when people don't have eyes to see, they're going to see with carnal eyes. And by then it's too late. You see? Now you see a dead kid floating by. Now it's not funny. And it never was funny. It was the mockers who made it funny. It was the scoffers who made it funny. But it was never funny. Now you see an old lady floating in the water. Now you see the tallest guy in town floating. He got tired because he was carrying his family. Now he's floating in the Now everybody's swimming. People are like in trees now, like hanging on branches. They're like, the water's so deep. Dead bodies floating everywhere. Now it's definitely not funny. And people can swim, but that can only go so far. People get tired. You see? But by then it's too late. The doors are closed. Very important to understand. Our Lord Jesus Christ says that the last days are going to be like the days of Noah. Everybody, you know, eat, drink, be merry. And it, when it comes to income, remember our study in the book of James, even in uh, Ephesians. When we speak of income, yes, we, we have groceries. We got to pay rent. We got to eat. We need shelter. We have rent to pay. We have mortgages. Never forget the kingdom of God. 
The seduction of the world is strong, very strong. And it's going to get even stronger in the last days as Satan knows his time is short. He's going to intensify his fight where, you know, the remnant that has a hundred percent love for the Lord, even remember Jesus says that the days will be so dark, so dark that no flesh will be saved. No flesh will be saved. Even the elect, he says, no flesh will be saved, even the elect, unless those days were shortened. Praise the Lord that those days are shortened. Praise the Lord that those days are shortened. You know, every now and then I'll sit back and I'll just wonder and think like, man, time is flying by. I mean, an hour is an hour, a day is a day, a week is a week, a year is a year, a decade is a decade, but it just seems like, wow, that time is flying. I mean, here we are in like, what, February 2022, 2023? It seems like just yesterday, it was like October 2022, it just seems like yesterday. And then I think, it's like, wow, Lord. Are you shortening the days, Lord? Is this you, Lord? Are you, has it begun, Lord? Are the times being shortened? It just seems like time is flying by. And I remember the words of our Lord when he tells us, unless those days be shortened. Do not become seduced by the world. The seduction is going to be strong. A lot of people are like Demas, leaving. A lot of people are like the saints in Asia, leaving. A lot of people are like Alexander and Himenaeus, leaving. Don't forget, the formula was right in them, but it didn't stay right in them. They themselves were seduced. And when they themselves became seduced, they became the seducers. Very important to understand what the word of God teaches us. Blueprints. Remember the blueprints that the Lord gave Moses? The Lord gives us blueprints. You say, oh, but the Episcopals have it. The, the Lutherans have it. The Methodists have it. The Calvinists have it. The Hebrew roots have it. Yeah, they have the word. But where's the spirit? Because the word of God is spiritually discerned. See, you cannot read the Bible as literature, even though everybody reads the Bible as literature. The remnant doesn't do that. Cannot do that. You see? Because the word of God is spiritually discerned. Mishkan. Where are the pastors? Where in the world are the pastors? I mean, you would think that of all the churches we have, with all the pastors we have in each individual churches, which are many, you would think that what is prophesied of the last days would be impossible. You would think with the myriad of pastors and teachers and elders and ministry leaders and teachers and all these ministries, you would think that the prophesied events of the last days are impossible. With all the crosses you see on building, 
with everybody proclaiming what they deem to be the truth. Oh, look, the truth is with us. Oh, look, the truth is with us. Oh, look, the truth is over here. The truth is over there. The truth is here. The truth is everywhere. Oh, look, we have our Bibles. Look, we have, we say the name Jesus. Oh, look, you would think with all the, everything we see today, all the pastors and teachers and churches, you would think that the prophesied events is impossible. You would think that apostasy is impossible. You see? So how do we reconcile? We got churches everywhere, pastors everywhere, teachers everywhere. Churches on every street corner. How is apostasy possible? With all the churches we see, with all the pastors we see, how is apostasy prophesied? How is apostasy supposed to happen? How is apostasy going to happen? How is apostasy happening? You want the answer? Formula. That's the answer, straight up. Wrong formula. And wrong formula opens the door to a whole lot of bad things. One of them being no Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been quenched. Translates as extinguished. Something the Bible says, don't do that. You see? The famine of the Word of God. Just as Brother Peter told us. Just as the prophets teach us a famine of the Word of God. You see? Don't be seduced by the world. It's an individual's choice. It's for your choice to make. It's for my choice to make. For me. You make it for you. I make it for me. Remain steadfast. Stay focused. Keep our eyes on the prize. Jesus, the kingdom, paradise. That's where we're going. That's our destination. It's very easy. It's very simple. But it is very intricate. And that intricacy, it creates problems. That intricacy creates problems with the carnal, which is why we cannot be carnal, which is why we have to reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead. Very perilous times. And it's going to get worse. This is nothing. This is not even a walk in the park. This is a skip to the lily field. Piece of cake right now. I mean, look what, you know, Christians are falling left and right. Apostasy is happening left and right. And this is a piece of cake. And I don't say that pridefully. I only say that to point to the fact that in how it's going to intensify as we get further and further and further and further into the events of the last days. Stay focused. You see? Eyes on the prize. Steadfast. Brother John says this in verse 17. He says, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Remember what Peter told us in his letters? That the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, he says. Understand, the world is fading. This is becoming more clear. More clear. I've had conversations with atheists that they're like, whoa, something's happening. Atheists who know their Bible. You know, sometimes I talk to atheists and they know their Bible more than Christians. You know why? Because they're former Christians. They grew up in the church. They left the church. They didn't leave the church because of the Lord. They left the church because of the dumb pastor. Stupid pastor. 
A person became atheist because someone in their family was raped. They go to the pastor and they say, oh yeah, God, God, God ordained this to happen. He makes all things to come to pass. God wanted this rape to happen. And the person's like, what? What? I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Number one, praise the Lord that they left. Praise the Lord that they left. The bad part is that they left, but didn't understand formula. They left the pastor, but in so doing, they left the Lord. Instead of understanding, no, that pastor, they should have left that pastor and remained with the Lord. The, pa the pastor has left the Lord. You see, and I have these conversations with atheists and sometimes they're the most friendly people ever. Not at first. At first, it's like, <laughs> at first, they don't like me too much. <laughs> but in the course of time, in our, in our conversations, <clears throat> You know, they kind of, you know, they soften up a little bit. And I soften up too, you know. I have a heart for atheists. It sounds weird. Like, what are you talking about? Guys, I, he likes atheists? When you understand why atheism takes its seed in people, it, it, it sounds shocking, but when you understand formula and you understand prophecy, you understand the times, you know, it's not so shocking. It's sad. It's devastating. Because sometimes atheists are because of the Christian. Sometimes atheists are because of what they see in the Christian and what they see in the pastor. Sometimes they're atheists because of hypocrisy. You see? They do right to point at the hypocrisy and see the hypocrisy. But where they do wrong is they leave Christ. They attach the Christian. They attach the pastor to Jesus without understanding. No, that's leaven. They have left the Lord. They're on the outside. They don't understand. And I have these conversations with the atheists and like, oh my goodness, I'm, what? I've never heard this before. What? And it's like, yeah, listen to the studies. It's there. Read what the word of God says. Read the word. Open up the word. Read. Go here. Hit play. Boom. And then we have these conversations and the atheists are like, oh my goodness. And then they start to, it's kind of interesting because sometimes it's the atheist that tells me, man, this world is a mess. You know, look, you got world leaders behaving like this. You got, you know, these, you know, all these things happening, you know, the, you know, they call it, you know, climate change and all this and global warming and all these things. But wow, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. And I look over here and boom, I turn on the TV, turn on the news and boom, it's happening. And sometimes it's the atheist is like, wow, this world is something's happening. It's fading. And to talk with the atheist and you know what? You're right. You're right. So get in the boat while the door is open, while the Lord can be found. Seek the Lord while he can be found. Because the door is open. It's not going to be open forever. Just like the days of Noah, people... Oh, Noah, you're so stupid. The ocean's way over there. This is so stupid, Noah. Come on and party with us. They might laugh, you know, when it's dry. But no one's laughing when the bodies start floating. No one's laughing anymore. And these are things that's going to happen in the last days. When tribulation befalls the world. 
across the globe. People will seek death. And the Bible says they won't be able to die. They're going to experience certain things. You see? They're going to beg the mountains to fall on them. They're going to go in their, you know, uh, uh, like, you know, hiding places. And they're going to seek death. Very interesting because in this in these last days, you know what else is happening? Bunkers. Bunkers. The, 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 the bunkers, they're on the rise. People getting their bomb shelters. You know, you have billionaires. They go into earth. They live on, you know, mountainsides. But the whole purpose is they want to, like, dig holes. And they have their, like... Like a luxury, luxury uh, 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 conditions, living conditions. They live inside the mountain. Very interesting. The Bible says that people will run into the mountains wanting to seek death, but they won't be able to. It's going to be withheld from them. Very interesting to see these things happen today. The billionaire bunkers. Companies, you know, developing these, you know, bomb shelters and, you know, they dig in the earth. The billionaires, they got nice ones. Very interesting because the Bible says that very thing. Man, it's the atheist. Very interesting because the, the atheists, sometimes they come back to me and they're like, well, you know what? Remember what you said when we had this conversation? Yeah, I remember. I kind of see it now. Because look, is this in the Bible? Yeah, it's there. Oh, yeah, I, I see this too. Is this in the Bible? Yeah, it's there. I see this too. Is this in the Bible? Yeah, it's right here. And then I say to them, you know what else is in the Bible? That God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, not to condemn, even though condemnation is coming, but he sent his son not to condemn. You see, but that the world through him might be saved. And to speak to the atheist and say, hey, point blank, you have a choice to make. Wow, I've never heard it like this. Okay, we've established that. You never heard it like this. You're outside the boat. Get inside. Fine. <laughs> I have a heart for the atheist because sometimes they're atheists because of what they see in hypocrite Christians, hypocrite pastors. Pastors who want to do their, you know, be out with the prostitutes. Pastors who want to do their gambling. Pastors who want to molest kids, they should be in prison. But no, there they are at the pulpit. And the atheist who becomes atheist because of the hypocrisy they see in pastors. I have a heart for the atheist. Because they're right in seeing the hypocrisy, but they're wrong in leaving Christ. You see? I don't care who you are, male, female, young, old, even atheist, Buddhist, Krishna, whatever you are. This is what the word of God says. And these things that the Bible prophesies about, it's happening. It's here. It's here. And you can say like, okay, yeah, I see this. I see this. Okay. It's very interesting. Okay. But if you're not in Christ, that means you're outside the boat. That's not good. Get in the boat. What's stopping you? You see? And if that's you, you might be, you might have woke up this morning, atheist. And you can go to bed at night as a resident, a citizen of the kingdom of God. You see? What do you do? You hit pause. 
You listen to the message how to commit your life to Christ, and you do exactly that. You commit your life to Christ, and then you come back. You listen. We grow together. Not you outside the boat, you inside the boat. We grow together, and we journey to paradise together, you and me. The very fact, what you know, when Brother John says here in verse 17 that the world is passing by, or passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever, this is becoming very clear. Prophecy today is becoming fulfilled more and more and more. The very birth pains that our Lord tells us about. You see? But in the will of God and doing the will of God, Brother John says, abides forever. That's what John says. You know what Brother Paul says? He says, death, where is thy sting? That's what Paul says. You see, same spirit. In verse 18, Brother John continues, says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming Even now, many antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. You see, understand the Bible teaches about the antichrist, the conditions by which the antichrist will be revealed and when Satan finds his host. And just so you know, if you're a new listener, we do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. We do not. I know it's in the movies. I know it's in books. I know you see it on... TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, I know you see it everywhere you go. As seminaries, pastors teach it, I know it's taught everywhere. The problem is, it's not in the Bible. You won't find it in the Bible. Remember, the Word of God is spiritually discerned. You won't find it in the Bible. And if you're listening and you're like, what? Everybody teaches pre-tribulation rapture. Who is this guy? What is he? Listen. Go to our studies. We have further studies on the last days and end time prophecy. Go to thewayunderground.com and go and listen to those studies. And you'll understand more about prophecy, end time prophecy. Thewayunderground.com. The archives are there. They're there for you. Free of charge. You see? The Bible teaches about seasons. The Lord, he tells us about seasons and the signs of the times. And we have to specify this. We do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. The rapture is not pre-tribulational. It is not. I don't care what seminary says. I don't care what the books say. I don't care what the movies say. I don't care what Hollywood says. I care what the Bible teaches. What is it that the Bible says? And in the word of God, you will not find a pre-tribulation rapture. Go and listen to the studies. They're there for you. And so Brother John, he continues in verse 19. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Now hold the phone here for a moment. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Brother John, he speaks of many antichrists. But he speaks of many antichrists by saying that they went out from us. You see? Do you remember what we said about leaven on the outside? Not too long ago, maybe 20 minutes ago. I'm a terrible judge of time, you know. Sometimes I think it's 10 minutes and it turns out to be like five hours. So, you know, like in these studies, you know, sometimes, can, can you do like, you know, shorter studies? And I'm like, well, it feels like it was just like 10 minutes, 20 minutes. So I can look at their watch. Like, whoa, this, this, this was like five hours long. It's like three, two hours long. It's like, wow, it feels like t- 10 minutes to me. 
But just like 10, 20 minutes ago, do you remember what we said about leaven on the outside? We gave the example of 100 and you and me were two. So there was the 98 other and you and me in the course of time, we went back. We were, we went back to the church and we were welcomed back in the church in Corinth. Remember? Well, what about the 98? What happens to them? You see, it's good when leaven is no longer leaven and returns. That was the example you and me of the hundred, two came back and that was you and me. But of the 98, there's something that happens when leaven stays leaven. Because when leaven stays leaven, we get to a point where restoration becomes impossible. And that's where we get into Hebrews 6 territory. So the 98 people, you and me as the former 100, now we're the, we were the two and now we're grafted and we're, we're back with the remnant. We're considered the remnant. We're back with them. We were welcomed and we love it. Love feast. Us with them, them with us and us together, one body, many parts and us unto the Lord. Love feast. Koinonia, Ecclesia, formula, right? We were former leaven, leaven no more. But what about the 98? So now they're on the outside, the 98, not us, the, the other guys, the other gals. They're on the outside. So now what happens to them? Now they're at the point where they're in Hebrews 6 territory, where restoration, it's impossible. But we're also in other territory where some of them can become antichrist not the antichrist but antichrist you see many antichrists that's what john is explaining here in verse 19 you know many antichrist verse 18 antichrist but in verse 19 they went out from us but they were not of us these antichrists they were in the body you see and in these last days, beloved saints, do not be surprised when present believers, when those present in the body, when they become leaven and they're on the outside, just like the example we gave of the hundred, you and me, we were in that hundred. And praise be the Lord, because for us, we came back in. We were just like, you know, leprosy in the Old Testament. You know, unclean, unclean, unclean. And we were unclean. And we were outside the camp. But now we're inside the camp. But that 98, they can become antichrist. When leaven stays leaven. When hearts go from the hardest of pine to stone. That's judgment. And don't be surprised when you see this happen more and more and more. You see, when leaven, when saints become leaven, when leaven stays leaven, and then when leaven turns into stone, you know what happens? They become antichrist. That's what John is telling us. These people will love you. While in the body. But then when they're leaven, they'll hate you. But when they become antichrist, they'll want to kill you. Understand what we're saying. 
while in the body, they'll love you. But when they're identified as leaven, the remnant separates. And just like the example we gave, you know, that hurt you and me. We were leaven that hurt you and me. And praise be to the Lord, our hearts became soft. They were hard before. They weren't pine. They were maple. I would say they were oak. They were hard. And in that three-year time, they became jello. They became balsa. Then they became jello. And then we were welcomed back in. And our hearts stayed jello. We're jello hearts with everybody. Koinonia, Ecclesia. Love feast. But in the last days, you're going to see this on overdrive. Where people are in church. And then they leave church. And they leave church for various reasons. Sometimes it's the love of the world, the lust of the flesh. Sometimes they're identified as leaven. And now the remnant has to separate. But no matter the case, when they're on the outside, there is a means by which they can be welcomed back in. But even that has a a specific formula. And when leaven stays leaven, when we get into Hebrews 6 territory, where now restoration is impossible, these are the ones who can... Not maybe, very likely to become Antichrist. Where in days prior, they loved you. And now they not only hate you, when they become Antichrist, they want to kill you. You see? Pastors, I want to say something to pastors, qualified pastors, not run of the mill. I'm talking full package. If that's you, pastors. Right now, have a series of contingency plans in place to be prepared for this very thing where leaven stays leaven and now leaven turns into the wolf and the wolf wants the saints dead. Have plans in place. Protect the remnant with your very life. Protect the remnant. Perilous times. They're not coming. They're here. And Brother John says this. He says of these antichrists, he says, they came out from us, yes. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. You see, it's very important. Just like the example we gave where there was a hundred people that were leaven and we were in that and we were on the outside and we still drank we still got drunk and we still but it just tasted different it was like wow you know we don't like this anymore it tastes nasty now because look at what it's caused in our lives i look at you i say hey do you like this anymore you say no i don't like this you look at me say do you like this anymore i say no 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 this is this is kind of gross this is nasty now i don't like this anymore Then we start to appreciate and adore what Chloe told us. And in the course of time, we're welcomed back in the fellowship because of the formula. But of the 98, their hearts were transitioning from maple to pine to extremely hard pine. And then 
to stone. And of that group, now they're a threat. Now they want the remnant dead. You see? You see this in play now with the what they call the exvangelical movement. Meaning they were evangelical Christian, but then they left and now they're exvangelical. And you see this, this the rise of the exvangelical movement. People who were Christians. They were in the church, sometimes raised in the church, sometimes they're pastors' kids, sometimes they're pastors. And then they write books. Uh, hey, I'm sorry that I said this. They write letters. They write books. They write all these news articles. They put all these things on social media. And they say, they issue an apology. I want to apologize to this person. I want to apologize to that person. Because when I was a Christian, I didn't align to what you believe. I didn't align to the sex. I didn't align to the Buddha. I didn't align to the uh, uh, the Krishna. I didn't align to the yoga. I didn't align to whatever you thought was right. I didn't align to that. And I was wrong. I apologize. Christianity is fake. The Bible is fake. That's the evangelical movement. You know what's happening? The rise of the Antichrist spirit. It is happening. It is happening. The rise of the Antichrist spirit. Oh, you're so judgmental. How dare you say that? Oh, you. The Bible says that, you know, James says that the church is adulterers and adulteresses. You know, that's, you know, we have to omit that from the Bible. And so now you have this movement, the evangelical movement and the Antichrist spirit. They're trying to rewrite the Bible. Churches and denominations, the Church of England, they're having these uh, 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 like uh, conferences, you know, the, the so-called leaders. You see? A gender assignment to God. We're in the last days. They're trying to change the gender. We're in the last days. Remember, judgment comes first to the church. And it comes, if it comes first to the church, how bad will it be for those who don't obey the gospel? You see, just as Peter tells us, people say, oh, it's too judgmental, too judgmental, too judgmental, too judgmental. And in the rise of the Antichrist spirit, many Antichrists, a lot of them former Christians, raised in the church, they've become atheists. And when there's the revealing of the Antichrist, they're going to love him. When Satan finds his host, they're going to love him. And when the Antichrist starts to kill Jews and Christians, as prophesied, the world, they're going to be on board. They're going to be on board. You see this rise of anti-Semitism. Understand what's on the back of that. The Antichrist spirit. You see the rise of Christian persecution. Understand what's on the back of that. The rise of the Antichrist spirit. Preparing the world 
for the Antichrist. The two prophets in the last days, when the Antichrist kills them, they're going to be celebrated. Their death is going to be celebrated around the world. Why? Because they were intolerant. They were judgmental. They were judgmental. They spoke against our belief system. They spoke about this. They spoke about that. This guy, our world leader, the head of the world, he killed these guys. And, you know, that's a good thing. And they're going to rejoice. And you know what happens? They're going to be resurrected. The Lord is going to resurrect his two witnesses. You see, if you're a pastor, a full package pastor, and people leave you because, oh, you're, you're so mean. You speak against the sex and the drugs and the rock and roll and, you know, the, the Buddha, the Krishna, the, the yoga and the, the Ouija boards and the crystals and the chakras. And, oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. Understand what's happening. That's Antichrist spirit. That's Antichrist spirit. The world? You know what's going to happen in the world? There's going to be another set of guys. Two vessels. And the world, when the Antichrist kills them, and it's going to be like broadcast all over the world, and the world is going to rejoice. Oh, they spoke out against our sex and our alcohol and our Buddha and our Ouija boards. They're not for world peace. They're not with the alignment of the one world religion. And look, it's an era of peace. And oh, look, they're against that. And they're going to rejoice. Understand what's happening. The buildup for the revealing of Antichrist. And the times will get worse and worse and worse and worse. And the Lord is going to resurrect them. The two witnesses. And Brother John is teaching us about this. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that, it, that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. I was talking to a pastor one time. And he was adamant about church membership. Adamant. about having an application for church membership. You know, he was like, you know, you know, hey, when I told him that, you know, like, hey, hey, you know, I, I'm not down with that. I don't, I don't agree with that. And he was shocked that I was adamantly against it. And so he asked me a question, who do you invest in? You know, he was, you know, like, we have this application in place for church membership because we want to, you know, I want to know as pastor who I'm going to invest in. And so when he, when he saw that I was against it, he's like, well, who, who do you invest in? You know what I told them? Everyone. Everyone. From the youngest of the young to the oldest of the old. Whoever walks in those doors. Whoever walks in those doors is who the pastor is vested into. In their soul. Standing before the Lord for them to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Every single person who walks through those doors. It's the Holy Spirit that establishes membership. You see, it's not a dumb piece of paper. I mean, some churches have membership applications that are 10 pages long. You know, like you're applying for a job on Wall Street, you know? Understand, if you're in a church where the pastor has an applica paper application for membership, oh, we don't do paper, we're, we're online now. Okay, we'll, we'll say paper or online. But if you're in a church where the pastor has the application for membership, you know what that is? That's a good sign that the Holy Spirit is not with him. The Holy Spirit is not there. 
Where do you see membership applications in the Bible? Where? Where do you see that in the Bible? Application for membership. Where? I'll give you the answer. Nowhere. Nowhere. So why do we see it today? Precisely the point. And so Brother John, he's addressing Antichrist in the church. And he says, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were with us or what none of them were of us. Now, it's very important to make these distinctions of saints, always accounting for babies, always, 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 always accounting for babies. Now, to make the distinction of saints, of leaven, and antichrist. You see? Because as the world shifts, as the world shifts, so too the church is shifting. Churches are getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And some people leave because they're leaven. Some people leave because they're seduced by the world and the lust that is in it. You know, the bright lights, big city, just like they must. And some people leave because they become antichrist. Don't get me wrong. All, all are not good. But the shift is already happening. It's already underway. It is happening right before our very eyes. And to the remnant, Brother John says this. He says, but you, in verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Remember, knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. Not the greatest gift, but one of many gifts. And when the formula is right, you have effectuation of promise, which absolutely has guarantees. Remember Peter, when we read Peter's letter and he has guarantees? Remember when he says, for so an interest will be welcome to you? Remember, he, he gives us the blueprints. He gives us the formula. And he says, if you do these things, you will never stumble. Whoa. You do this, you will never stumble. He teaches, he gives us the blueprints. He teaches us about formula. So does James. So does John. So does Paul. So do the faithful shepherds. There are confidence, the certain confidences that we have, not, not certain confidence, we have confidence in the Lord, but we have to understand formula because when it's right, there's effectuation of God's promises. Remember our study in Joshua, the Joshua chapter one, how it was very difficult. I, I don't want to say that I didn't like teaching Joshua one, but what I don't, what I didn't like teaching about jo Joshua, Joshua chapter one, Old Testament, what I didn't like teaching about Joshua chapter one is, I mean, I, I, I love teaching it, but what I didn't like about it is the possibility of you, you not understanding formula and effectuation of promise. You see, because I remember, remember when Moses would, would speak and speak about God's promises. Well, you get to the battle where the Lord says, Hey, I'm with you. And you know, I'm not going to forsake you. And then you get to their war footing the war footing of Israel and you get to Joshua seven and they start to lose the fight. Israel takes casualties. You see, does that mean God is a liar when he says, Hey, I'm going to fight for you. 
But then they take casualties. Does that mean God is a liar? No, it does not. God is not a liar. He cannot lie. Remember the Bible says that? He cannot lie. So what is it? Formula. Aiken. You see, the formula wasn't right. And so Israel took casualties. You see? Just like judges. Yeah, they have the actual day of the Sabbath, but do they have real Sabbath? No. Why? Formula. No rest. I mean, being oppressed by different peoples? No rest. But the Lord told them, I will give you rest. But they don't have rest. So how is that reconciled? Formula. Formula was wrong. So it's not like I didn't. It's not that I didn't like teaching Joshua chapter one. I love it. I, I love teaching. I love us opening up our Bibles and studying the word of God together. I love it. But. What I didn't like is just that possibility of you not understanding formula and effectuation for God's promises. You see? But I trust in the Lord that he has taught you about effectuation of his promises. And just like we see the assurances of the Lord unto Joshua, Brother John teaches us about assurance of the Lord and from the Lord in verse 20 when he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Remember, this is remnant. This is remnant territory. Because of the Antichrist, yeah, they were from us. But in verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. I have not written to you. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth. That's not why he says. You see, I'm understanding. We know that knowledge is a gift of the spirit as Paul teaches us. You see, and for promises, effectuations of promises, all these things are beautiful guarantees that you and me have. Just like Peter says, hey, you do this, you will never stumble. You do this, it's not just that you will never stumble. Look, so an entrance will be welcome to you into paradise. And praise be to the Lord. The very things that John is teaching us. It's not writing so that you, because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, in verse 21, and that no lie is of the truth. Understand, these people, this remnant that Brother John is writing to, they're lovers of truth. In 90 AD, they love the truth. And because they love the truth, truth is not withheld from them you see this anointing from the holy one he says it's not written because you do not know the truth but it's because you do know it that says a lot about this audience this remnant that brother john writes to you see remember when there's no love of truth what happens strong delusion it's from the lord that they should believe the lie. And, you know, there's terrifying aspects of that from Second Thessalonians chapter 2. There's terrifying aspects of that for truth to be withheld. But on the opposite side of the spectrum where is found the remnant. You see, the leaven, they're closer to that strong delusion. The apostate, they're in that delusion. 
but it's a result of not loving truth. And yes, there are terrifying aspects of that. And yes, that's not a good thing. But the remnant is on the opposite side of the spectrum where it is beautiful. You see? Where truth is not withheld. Truth is poured out. Truth is understood. Knowledge is given, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Not the greatest gift, but it is a good gift. We have to factor in the it is also written. We always had to factor this in, but even more so in these last days. You know why? Because not only is there a rise of the Antichrist spirit, it will ultimately give way to the Antichrist when Satan finds his host. But in these last days, Satan has his messengers. Satan has his vessels. And they're going to be out like crazy presenting themselves as ministers of righteousness. But they're servants of Satan. That was Paul's phobia, remember? In verse 22, Brother John says, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. You see, you hear people say like, oh, I believe in God, but not the God of the Bible. That's Antichrist. You see? Or you hear people, people who say like, I believe in God, but Jesus was just a prophet. Jesus, oh, just a prophet. You know what that is? That's Antichrist. You see? In verse 24, therefore, let that abide in you, Brother John teaches us. Let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Notice, if what you heard abides in you, if what you heard, what John says here aligns with what Paul says, that faith, 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 faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you're listening, if you're listening right here, right now, and you're not a believer and you haven't heeded the prior call to come to Christ and commit your life to Christ, you know what you're doing right now at this very moment? You know what you're doing? You're hearing. That's what you're doing. You're hearing. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And what do I say to you? Let those gears of faith turn. Let them turn. Don't let them get dusty and decrepit and decayed. Let the gears of faith turn. And if that's you, hit pause. And you listen to the message how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ right here, right now. And you come back and you listen. And we continue together. And Brother John teaches us here in verse 25, he says, and this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. You see, God's promises are more sure than the very earth that we presently stand on. Because prophetically speaking, even the earth is going to fade. It's all going to fade. It's all going to burn. 
Verse 26, Brother John, he says, These things I have written to you, I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Try to deceive you. You see, deceivers are very prevalent, very skilled too, very skilled in their craft. It was Paul's phobia, not for himself, not for himself. It was Paul's phobia for the body. Remember when he, Paul says, I fear for you? Because when the preacher guy comes in with the, another gospel, another spirit, and another Jesus, another Christ, you know what he says to the Christians? What he says to the believers? He says, you guys, you're going to put up with it. You're going to put up with it. What happened in Corinth? They put up with it. What happened in Galatia? They put up with it. What's happening today in 2023 AD? Saints are putting up with it. The pseudodelphos, the servants of Satan. False brethren presenting themselves as ministers of righteousness. You know what they are? Wolves. You see? But the Berean, the remnant, they know. And so John, he says, I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. Now, remember verse 26. In verse 26, where, you know, there are those who try to deceive you, but with anointing and that of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Turn really quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Brother Paul, he says this in verse 12. He says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. You see, Paul speaks of himself and his tiny bubble of ministry that we have received, he says. And it's not to boast. It's not so, oh, look how awesome we are. No, it's not for his own self-aggrandizement. No, it's not for exaltation. Well, it's for exaltation, but exaltation of Jesus, not himself. But Paul, in his tiny bubble, they're qualified to speak of things holy. They're qualified to teach. Full package, not package one, not package two, not package three. They're full package. And he says this in verse 13. He says, these things we also speak. So, you know, in verse 12, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. See, the Lord, the Lord has poured into Paul the Holy Spirit who is from God. What Paul has received and those in his tiny bubble, don't forget, in his tiny bubble was Timothy, future pastor, also Titus, future pastor, some other workers too, good ministry people, men and women. Pastors, always male. Elders, always male. But there were women in the tiny bubble. And Paul says that we have received. The Lord has poured into them. You see? the Holy Spirit, that, that they might know. And Paul's not getting on a high horse and say, oh, look how awesome I am. Also, since I know these things here for 1995, for your love offering of $500, we'll give you that. No, 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 no. That's what the hirelings do. But the servants of the Most High, what does Paul say? 
Freely I have received, freely I give, free of charge, no charge. And so, yes, understand the, the credence of Paul, the credence of John, the credence of Peter. And sometimes they speak in this manner so that saints can understand like, whoa, you know, like there's authority with Paul. There's authority with Peter. There's authority with John. There's authority with James. There's authority with them. The question is, when you understand formula, you know that to submit to John, to submit to James, to submit to Peter, to submit to Paul, that is safe. But to submit to Alexander, submit to Hymenaeus, that is not safe. You see? And so the Lord having poured into Paul, in verse 13, these things we also speak. See, it's not, it's not for the Lord to pour into Paul in that tiny bubble. It's not for the Lord to pour into them and boom, that's it. No, the Lord pours into them. But then they pour out to the people. And what is it that they pour out? In verse 13, these things we also speak. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. You see? Just like we said earlier. The word of God goes forth, but it does not return to him void. So yeah, the Episcopals, they have a Bible. Lutherans, Methodists, Calvinists, Reformed, Presbyterian, Hebrew Roots, Universalists. Yeah, they have their Bible. But they also have the wisdom of the world. They also have man's wisdom. And that's not how the Word of God is discerned. It is not how the Word of God is discerned. You see? It's only for the remnant. Only the Lord can do that. Only the Lord. I mean, people can read like Huckleberry Finn and everybody understands Huckleberry Finn. You read like, you know, Curious George. Everybody understands Curious George. You read like, uh, uh, I don't know, some book that everybody knows. Fiddler on the Roof. Or, you know, like, uh, I don't know. You read some book, say like, you know, Huck Finn, you know, everybody understands, everybody can read Huckleberry Finn and understand Huckleberry Finn. It's written by man. But everybody can read the Word of God. But not everybody can understand the Word of God. You see? Everybody can read Curious George. And everybody understands Curious George. Everybody can read Fiddler on the Roof and everybody can understand Fiddler on the Roof. And everybody can read the Word of God, the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. The Episcopals can read the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation. The Calvinists can read Genesis to Revelation. The Reformed, the Presbyterian, the Hebrew Roots, the Episcopals, the Lutherans, the Methodists, the Universalists, they can read the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation cannot understand you say that's a pretty rather bold statement how dare you say such a thing to suggest that they don't have the word of god no they have the word of god but do they understand it you see 
That's even worse. You're even more bold in saying that. How can you say such a thing? Well, look at the fruit. Look at the works. A pastor says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. That's not of the spirit. The Holy Spirit. It's a spirit, all right, but lowercase s. It's not the Holy Spirit. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. A pastor says that to Christians. That's a ticket to hell. That's a ticket to, you know, hellfire, damnation, weeping, gnashing of teeth. That's not good. You know, eternal suffering, burning. That's not good. And a guy stands at the pulpit and says such a thing. That is not the Holy Spirit. But in according to the doctrine, how it's been twisted, that's what he believes. And people submit to that. Hello, like a fire. That's not good. The Hebrew roots guy. Yeah, he has the Bible. And yeah, he can say, oh, look, John says this and John wants us to do the law. And so, okay, let's do the law. Let's do the law of Moses. You see? And what happens is the very thing that happened to the Galatian saints. The Episcopals, the Lutherans, the Methodists, they say, oh, look, don't, don't hate your brother. We got to love and God is love. So therefore, this is how we interpret love. You see, yeah, they read the Bible. But the Holy Spirit teaches. The word of God is spiritually discerned. Where is the spirit of the Lord? See, everybody can read Huck Finn and understand Huck Finn. Everybody can read the Bible. But only the remnant understands. And Paul says, you know, being poured into, you know, verse 12, you know, we have received not the word, of, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit, Holy Spirit, who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. See, the Lord freely gave it to them. He poured into them. And it's not so Paul and that little bubble can be, oh, look how awesome we are and everybody submit to us and, you know, for your love offering of 500 bucks, you know, we'll tell you. No, no, no. Those are hirelings. The Lord freely poured into them. Freely poured. I mean, remember Timothy where like he was maxed out with his parents, with his mom and grandma, you know, teaching him and he's maxed out and then, the parents, they go, hey, Paul, you know, you know, we've maxed out on how we can teach little Timmy. And, you know, can you it's prophesy that he's going to be, you know, serving the Lord and working as unto the Lord. And so can you take him under your wing? Now, picture that. What, what pastor, what pastor is there? I mean, if, if you have kids, say you have a, 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 a little son. What pastor is there? A man. What man is there? That you would say, I've maxed out teaching my son. Can you take him, pastor? Who? <laughs> Who? Where is such a pastor? And so Paul, he takes little Timmy and he circumcised him. Not to do the works of the law. But he circumcised him because that was the only way that Timothy could get a ticket into synagogue. Because remember, Timothy was, you know, uh, half-blood, you know, a, a Jew and Gentile. 
And so now Timothy could enter synagogue. And Timothy, because Paul knew, okay, it is prophesied that Timmy's going to be little Timmy, little Timmy, beautiful little Timmy. And the Lord prophesied that he would be in ministry. And so to that end, Paul says, yeah, I'll take him under my wing in fulfilling this prophecy of little Timmy, circumcises him, not to do the works of the law, but so that little Timmy could go into synagogue and for little Timmy, for Paul to say to little Timmy, hey, little Timmy, sit right here next to me and you're going to watch me fight. You're going to watch, you know, not like, you know, put on boxing gloves and beat up everybody. No, you're going to watch me fight the good fight, little Timmy. Picture little Timmy like that. Like, wow, you know, mom and dad taught me well, you know, grandma taught me well, but whoa, this is like next level, you know? And for Paul to, you know, little Timmy's uh, uh, circumcised, now he can enter synagogue with Paul. Picture Paul walking into synagogue and he's got this little kid with him. And before he told the kid, he told, not the kid, but little Timmy, he tells little Timmy, hey, just be at, be at my side, just right here, my, 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 my right hand, you know, my, my right, right hand guy. And you're going to sit down right here and just listen. Nothing fancy, just listen. And you're going to watch me just straight up handle business, some serious business. Little Timmy, you're going to watch me handle business. Not, not in a prideful sense, like, you know, why, you know, I mean, this is going to be a good move. This is going to be, no, 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 not like that. But you're going to watch me handle business. You're going to watch me fight the good fight. Because one day, little Timmy, you're going to do this. One day, little Timmy, you're going to do this. And so picture little Timmy. Like, wow, you know, my mom taught me this. My dad taught me this. Grandma taught me this. But this guy, this guy, Paul. Like, whoa, you know, like, because what Paul would do. He would go right to the hornet's nest. He wasn't afraid. He, I mean, he, he wouldn't be afraid of synagogue. Paul would go into synagogue and prove from the scrolls that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what Paul would do. It is written. And, you know, after synagogue was over, service was over, he would leave and people would follow him. People would be like, oh my goodness, I never knew that. That's what Isaiah was talking about. Oh my goodness, I never knew that. That's what Moses says. Oh my goodness, I never knew that. That's what Amos says. And they had the scrolls and Paul would just break it down. He would break it down and fight the good fight and he would handle some serious business and he would prove from the scriptures, from Torah, from Leviticus, he would prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And he'd be done. He'd walk out. Little him, him and little Timmy walking out. Hand in hand. Little Timmy. Hold my hand. Little Timmy. Hold my hand. And the people would follow him. Hey, Paul, tell us more. Paul, tell us more. Paul, tell us more. Jew and Greek would follow Paul. And you know what would happen? They became Christians. You know the religious leaders? They say, okay, you know. Paul is, you know, he knows his stuff. But when they couldn't stop him, they says, okay, he knows his stuff. He's a threat. Now we got to kill him. You see? The word of God is spiritually discerned. Everybody can read Huckleberry Finn and everybody can understand Huckleberry Finn. Everybody can read the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, but not everybody can understand the Bible. Only the remnant. You see? Because the Holy Spirit teaches and that's what Paul is saying here in verse 13. 
These things we also speak. See, they were poured into the Lord. The Lord has freely given it to them. Freely given it to them. Freely given it to them. The knowledge that Paul has. Given to him by the freely given. Nothing, nothing hold back. Where the Lord says, okay, I see Paul. I see his heart. Boom, just whoosh, pours in. Just like, whoosh, just pours in. And then Paul doesn't go around and say, oh, look how awesome I am. Oh, look, I'm filled up with all this knowledge. And oh, look, I'm so cool. And for your love gift of $1,000, for your love gift of $19.99, for five monthly payments of $19.95, I'll teach you. Or speak to a board and say, hey, board, you know, I want my annual income to look like this. And I'm going to weasel my way into this and that. And no, Paul doesn't do that. The hirelings do that. But the qualified shepherds, they don't do that. They don't care about money. Qualified shepherds care about your soul. And so having been poured into, Paul says these things in verse 13, we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches. Picture little Timmy right there uh, sitting down in synagogue. Looking up to his side. Paul stood up, you know, the, 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 the rabbi, you know, teaching, you know, the religious leaders teaching. Does anybody have anything to say? Then Paul would stand up, you know, some guy would stand up. Oh yeah, I got something to say, you know, this, that, you know, whatever. Another guy would stand up. Okay. Yeah. This, that, does anybody else have anything to say? And then Paul would stand up. Picture little Timmy, picture little Timmy the first time, like what? Picture little Timmy like the second or third time, like, oh my goodness, these people have no idea what's in store for them because Paul's going to handle some serious business. Paul's going to fight like crazy. The good crazy, not the bad crazy. Paul's going to fight like crazy, the good crazy. You see? And Paul would prove from the scrolls that Jesus is the Messiah. And then the religious leaders, it got to the point where, okay, we can't stop Paul. We try to beat him. We tried to apply the law and beat him and stone him. We, 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 we did our, our, our deal with the political leaders and we tried to have him arrested and we threw him in jail and all these things, but he's not stopping. Paul's not stopping. So now what's the next level? Now we got to turn up the heat. Now we got to kill him. Now we got to kill him. Paul's a dead man. You see, and it got to the point where all the, the saints, the, the church leaders in the church were telling Paul, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. And yet the Holy Spirit was telling Paul, Paul, go to Jerusalem. Remember our study in the book of Acts? Go to Jerusalem. You see, that's hardcore. I like Paul. Picture little Timmy. When Paul circumcises him, it's not for the law. It's so that he can go into synagogue. Because if he wasn't circumcised, he'd have to be separated from Paul. He wouldn't be allowed into synagogue. He'd have to go into the, 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 the area of the Gentiles. But Paul says, no, little Timmy, you're, you're with me. You're with me. Mom and dad, they want me to raise you. And that's what I'm going to do in fulfillment of this prophecy on your life. What the Lord wants for your life, little Timmy. And you're with me. You're not going to separate and go with these people. No, you're with me. Stay right here with me. What parent do you know would do that? 
What parent do you know? What dad? What mom do you know? If they have a kid, would say, like, hey, we've maxed out with our kid. Hey, pastor, take my son. You know how dangerous that is with all the freak shows at the pulpits? I meant doctrinally, of course, but I meant like, I don't want to get graphic or anything, but even carnally too. You know how dangerous that is? What parent could safely do that? Where in the world are the pastors? Why is it that, why is it that parents, I mean, yes, parents have to exercise extreme caution with their children in churches. But why is it that, that we even have to say that? Yes, it's a reality. You can't let your child, your sons, your daughters, you can't submit them to any youth leader, youth pastor, because most of them are freak shows. I mean, doctrinally, yes, but even worse. I mean, and not worse, but I mean, doctrinally is worse. But I mean, like, when I say worse, I mean like physical harm. Where kids can be molested and raped. You see? But picture that, a parent. Mom and dad saying, hey, Paul, we've, we've taught our son. And grandma, you know, we've taught, we've taught little Timmy. We've maxed out. Can you take him? You see? And Paul does this. Not, not so that Timothy can say, like, oh, you know, like, well, well, Paul, Paul's awesome. You know, Paul, Paul is awesome. Paul is so cool. And not for that. It's because little Timmy has to see Paul skilled in the manner in which he fights, the good fight. And so little Timmy himself can not just mature, but little Timmy himself can be deadly. The good deadly. Because the way Paul fights is the way Timothy's going to fight. You see? And so in verse 13, you see Paul speaking of these things. When he says these things, we also speak not in words which, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You see? These truths of the Word of God, it's only for the remnant. You see? I mean, the modern-day Lutheran, they have the Bible. They have the Bible. But you speak to them about biblical truths and they'll think you're crazy. You see, the Calvinist, they have the Bible. But you speak to them about biblical truths, they think you're crazy. You tell them. They say, oh, I love this guy. Oh, I love his study Bible. I love his study Bible. Oh, this guy is so awesome. Did you know that he tells Christians to take the mark of the beast? No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't. Look, I'll play it for you. He says it right here. Listen, it's his voice. He says, that's him. Well, that's, uh, that's beside the point. Look at all this extensive work in his past. Oh, look at all this extensive work and all these things. And oh, he's such a great teacher. That's nice. He says that Christians can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. Is that safe to submit to? 
Oh, we're going to be raptured out of here. So we're, we're, it's not a problem because the rapture is pre-tribulational. So it's not a problem. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's a huge problem. Because the Bible doesn't teach pre-tribulation rapture. Oh, but that's beside the point. He's such a great expositor of the Bible. Okay, let's put that aside, which is tough to do because that's a biggie. Let's put that aside. He's Calvinist. Oh, but the Bible says God is sovereign and God is sovereign. So since he's sovereign, you know, he pre preordains, he predestines people to heaven. He predestines people to hell. Okay, that's, that's according to Calvinism. That's right, according to Calvinism. But the problem is Calvinism is unbiblical. You will not find it in the Bible. And you have these conversations with the Calvinists. And I've had these conversations with Calvinists. And one time there was a guy, almost became, it was on his way to become a pastor. And after about four hours, like three hours, 45 minutes, maybe three hours, 50, somewhere around there, 40, 50 minutes, I don't know. But three hours, 40 minutes, 45, somewhere around there. And he tells me after this long conversation where I just straight up point blank told him, after boiling it down, he's using all these big words. I didn't even know what these words mean. He's speaking like he's like like another language. You know, he's speaking in tongues. He's like, no, I don't believe in tongues. Okay, so what does that word mean? And he would like explain this is what it means. And kind of like you know, looking down, you know, like oh, I can't believe you don't know what this means. I was like, no, tell me what that means. And he would explain what it means. And finally, at the end of the conversation, it's like, listen, you're guilty of idolatry. Just point blank, like, listen. You are guilty of idolatry. You are idolatrous. The reason why is because the Jesus that you speak of is not the Jesus of the Bible. This is after a long conversation. That's idolatry. Because that's another Jesus that you speak of. It is not the Jesus of the Bible. And then he has a smile on his face. A little smirk. A wicked smirk. And then he tells me, I'm the guy the Bible warns you about. Whew. What a conversation that was. These people know exactly what they're doing. Because they serve their father, the devil. Take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. What about the grave soakers? They have the Bible. They have the Bible. But they lead people into necromancy and abomination before the Lord. Let's go lay on the gravesite so that we can soak up the Holy Spirit, what they call the Holy Spirit. What is that? You see? They have no love of the truth. And because they have no love of the truth, truth is withheld from them. And because truth is withheld from them, they enter strong delusion that they should believe the lie. And people today believe the lie. You see, this is Paul's phobia. Not for himself. He could discern. And not to both. You know, saying, you know, like, when he says, like, you know, like, you know, I, I fear for you. You know, he's not like, you know, remember in, in, in Galatians when he was like, listen, I don't care who this guy is. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. I don't care who this guy is. It makes no difference to me. What is it that he speaks? 
What is it that he teaches? Tell me what he teaches. They sit down, have a conversation. Boom. This guy's pseudodelphos. This guy's a false brother. This guy's a servant of Satan. Because he wants to take the church into the law. He wants the church to take the exit door from Christ. Boom. Servant of Satan. You see? He's teaching with man's wisdom. And people follow him. You see, you have to be very careful with Bible college. Be very careful with seminary. You know, sometimes I have these conversations with the young theologians, the beautiful, beautiful young theologians, which figure, I mean, you know, like I want to be an expert in my field and in my craft. So I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go to university. And, you know, that might have had its time in the sun. But in these last days, people go to college and become stupid. People go to university and become stupid. It's happening. You don't need me to tell me. You just look. I mean, you, you don't need me to tell you. You just look and you see it. High school kid is like, wow, what a, what a sweet kid. What a sweet boy. What a sweet girl. They come back from college. Boom, they're stupid. What happened? They're supposed to get smart. They come back from college. They didn't get smart. What happened? They got straight A's. You think they were going to be smart. They got straight A's, but they learned liberalism. They learned the ways of the world. You see, the spirit of Antichrist preparing the way for the Antichrist when Satan finds his host. That's what they learned. The word of God. It's not Huck Finn, where everybody can read Huck Finn and understand Huck Finn. No, the word of God is spiritually discerned. You go to Bible college and apply man's wisdom to Bible college? You go to seminary and apply man's knowledge to the Bible? No, sorry. It doesn't work that way. You see? You go to Bible college, I want to know who the professor is. Who's the so-called teacher? Because the so-called professor, the so-called Bible expert, he's on his fifth marriage. He's a sex head. He's doing his alcohol. You know, he has to stay up late. He has to do all these things. So he, he takes his speed. He can't sleep. He can't sleep. So he has to take his speed so he can do his, you know, uh, correct his papers and do all these things, whatever the, the professors do. And so, you know, he doesn't sleep. So he needs his uppers. Who is it that's teaching? Who's the teacher? Is he applying man's wisdom? You see, and you look at the fruit, you look at the works. Oh, but this is a acclaimed, critically acclaimed Bible college. This is a critically acclaimed, uh, this is a well-respected uh, 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 university. Well-respected seminary. So-called well-respected. Look at the fruit. Look at what's being produced. Look at the doctrine. Look at what's being accepted in Bible colleges today. Look at the clubs of the student body. You see, the word of God is spiritually discerned. It's not Huck Finn. Verse 14, Paul says this in the Corinthian letters. He says, the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. The natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. That's why Paul says, reckon the old man dead. Reckon the old woman dead. That's why these faithful shepherds, hey, carry your cross. Count the cost and carry your cross. Reckon the old man dead. Reckon the old woman dead. Because you want to be carnal? You want to be a natural man? You want to be a natural woman? 
Look at what it prohibits. Look at what it prohibits. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Remember Hebrews 5 and 6? If the Lord permits, the Lord desires, but why doesn't he permit? The flesh, the works of the flesh, you see? The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. You see, truth withheld. Truth withheld. You read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you know why truth is withheld. Because there is no love of truth. And when there's no love of truth, strong delusion is in play. It's a form of judgment because that strong delusion is from the Lord. It's judgment. It's how Christians enter apostasy. And you're going to see when Christians enter apostasy, a whole the, the, the works of the flesh, the works of the of, of, of the, the the works of the flesh, and the uh, the fruit of the flesh. They're going to be on overdrive, just like we see in the book of Judges. Just like we see in the book of Judges. Everyone doing right in his own eyes. But who is the man? Who is the woman? That is, who is the boy? Who is the girl? Who is the old lady? Who is the old guy? Who is doing right in the eyes of the Lord? It's only the remnant. Only. Only the remnant. That's what the word of God does. Yes, the word goes forth. And the word does not return to the Lord void. Because the word brings back the remnant. The word resurrects the remnant. The word raptures the remnant. You see? Going back to Brother John in 1 John chapter 2, this is the very thing that Brother John is writing about. The anointing of the Holy Spirit that teaches, as he says in verse 27, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you this anointing, you will abide in him. You see, remnant, this is remnant territory. Remnant territory. You see, the Episcopals read this. The Methodists, the Lutherans, they read this. Hebrew roots, they read this. Like, okay, yeah. the you know, once saved, always saved. Well, you know, I have the anointing. So, okay, look, the, it says, I will abide in him. So, therefore, I will abide in him. And since, you know, since, since my pastor says that the Holy Spirit makes me a Christian, okay, so boom, I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that I will abide in him and I have this anointing, anointing then boom, once saved, always saved. I will never lose my salvation. So I'm going to do my sex, I'm going to do my drugs, I'm going to do my rock and roll, I'm going to do all these things, idolatry. I'm going to do all these things because once saved, always saved. And they're going to stand before the Lord one day. Or, you know, even worse, the pastor says, you know, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved because once saved, always saved. So, okay, look, mark of the beast comes, so boom, put it right here on my hand. And then that person dies. Oh, once saved, always saved, I'm going to stand before the Lord, boom, once saved, always saved. Okay, I can't wait. And you know what the biblical Jesus is going to say? The one whose word is above his name? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You see? 
But my pastor told me this. That's nice. That's not what the Bible says. But I got all these books and they told me this. That's nice. That's not what the Bible says. The biblical Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You see? But my pastor told me once saved, always saved. My pastor told me, I take the mark of the beast, I'll still be saved. And here you are, you're telling me this? And just as the Lord told Jeremiah, hey, Jeremiah, I'm not with those guys. I'm with you. And I'm with you because you're with me. You see? And when you understand formula, you'll know. You'll know this guy is qualified. This guy is disqualified. This lady disqualified. This lady disqualified. Oh, but she's got a million listeners. She's got all these parishioners. She has men submitting to her, uh, women submitting to her, and they acknowledge her as a pastor. That's nice. It's a whole lot of apostasy. It's sad. It's devastating. A famine of the word of God. A famine of the word of God. Oh, but the Bible can be found everywhere. The Bible can be found everywhere. Yeah. But where is the spirit? You see? And so, Brother John, he continues. He says in verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him. That when he appears, we. Notice, John includes himself. The same truths apply to him as well. That when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You see? We may have confidence and not be ashamed. He says this in verse 29. He says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. That's how you know. You look at the fruit. You look at the works. You look at the fruit. A person says, yeah, I'm a Christian. I am a Christian. Come on, let's go see the strippers. He's not practicing righteousness. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I got the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. Come on, let's go get baked. He's not practicing righteousness. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. It's ladies' night. Come on, let's go. Let's go to the club. We'll get our free drinks. The guys will buy us drinks. It's ladies' night. All the suckers, they'll buy us drinks. She's not practicing righteousness. You see? Oh, look, I'm going to extort my, my boss. I'm going to uh, do this sex. I'm going to do the Ouija boards. I'm going to worship Mary. I'm going to worship angels. I'm going to do the Ouija boards, the Krishnas, the crystals. Oh, it's natural. God made it. I'm going to do the mushrooms. God, it's natural. I'm going to do ayahuasca. Make me feel good. They're not practicing righteousness. You have to look at the fruit. Our Lord tells us, look at the fruit. You look at the fruit, you look at the works, and then you'll know. Everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. And that's how you know. You'll know how to identify the leaven. You'll know how to identify what is bad. But you'll also know how to identify what is good. This is my brother. This is my sister. This is my family. This is love feast. 
practicers of righteousness. This is where it is safe to fellowship. You see, you'll know. You'll know. You'll walk into a church and be like, wow, I can't, I can't submit to this guy. He's a freak show. And it's evidenced in the fruit, in the works. You'll see it. Very important for the last days. Everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Born again. Born again in Christ. People can say it all they want. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Listen, even the demons believe. As Brother James says, even the demons believe. But do they obey? No. Do they work righteousness? No, they can. They believe in Jesus. They believe in Jesus. Probably even more so than the believer. Because they know who he is. But do they obey him? No. You see? The believer by faith. By faith. We believe in Jesus by faith. Remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. By faith. And it's so beautiful because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But at the same time, understand that faith can grow. Faith can mature. And along with that, you can grow. You can mature. And then there's the next level, which is you can become deadly. Just as little Timmy was when he was cleaved to Paul. Little Timmy became deadly Timmy. Little Timmy became big, big Timmy. And he was deadly. And praise be to the Lord. So to you, so to me. We cleave to the word of God. And we together can become deadly. And in this journey in paradise, we fight the good fight. You see? these blueprints that the Lord gives us. It's freely given. The Lord is given in his word. But spiritually discerned, it's only for the remnant. And Brother John says that you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Brother John, he writes about the family of faith. Heirs of Abraham born in Christ. Just like we studied on Wednesday, it just so happens, it just so happens. Not biological, something better. To the beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.